Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome. My name is Noel Joshua Hadley, and you guys can see here that I have uh, Michael Solomon and Chris Bailey. They are both from Take On the World, uh, a couple of friends of mine. And this is the first episode of something I'd like to do more often called the Fellowship of the Flat Earth, because as you know, there is one earth to rule them all, and these are my fellow protectors of the realm. And what we're going to be doing tonight is... Uh, fielding questions to each other, and uh, we're going to be put under the the hot lamp and get interrogated by each other. And uh, no, this is going to be a friendly discourse between the three of us, and we will be asking each other questions. Each of us have come prepared with three different questions, which we will ask and uh, answer in a civil manner and hopefully not steamroll over each other. I'm talking to you, um, Michael and Chris, steamrolling over each other. They, they have a huge, <laughs> big problem on take on the world. They do this all the time. And uh, no, but they're they're a great uh, pair of gentlemen, and I'm really excited that they're here. So I'm going to get right to it tonight because we got a lot to cover. And um, also just to point out that we are going to try to keep it to about five minutes each. So the first person who's going to ask a question tonight is going to be Chris Bailey, and uh, Michael and I will be answering the question. Then, of course, Chris will answer uh, as well at the very end, and we're going to try to keep it around five minutes. I don't have a timer in front of me, um, but if I do start seeing the time and it's going like 20 minutes and you're still talking, I might, you know, I might like get a, like a little horn or blow it or something like that and or play the, the Academy Award music, you know, to get you off stage. Uh, so I'm handing it over to you, Chris. Yeah, well, I will say this. So I'd be going last on my own questions. Is that sort of like laughing at our own jokes? Sort of faux pas? I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, are you, are we're already you... setting up for this question, right? We've already prepared this question for you guys, but now we get to answer it. I think it's fair because it's, you know, okay. I, yeah. All right. Well, hey, I'm, I'm game for that because I have rants that are like 20 minutes long on each of those questions. So I have to condense it into five. See, so this is your this is your opportunity to ask us a question and then say, now that you guys have answered this, let me school you and let them let the master work. Let me show you what you got wrong. Hey, hey we, we are doing this and and hopefully that the audience can get something from it. We can learn from each other and just really just uh, have a good time with it. Since you called it flat earth, I had questions that were in order. I'm gonna change it up today. Um, and I'm gonna go right off the bat with, okay guys, I'm gonna pass it to you first, Michael. Why do you think biblical cosmology actually even matters, right? Because we hear this question so many times from people who don't believe what the, what the biblical model of the earth is always wonder why this matters. And I think there's a line in the stands when it comes to biblical cosmologists and what we believe because it's based upon the word of Yah compared to just your random flat earther, right? You know, all the other different people who are out there, there's, there's a division. So why do we believe biblical cosmology actually matters? What'd you answer that, Michael? Well, First of all, truth matters, and um, especially when it's biblical truth. Um, the great thing about biblical, biblical cosmology is it opens up uh, the truth of Yah's word far broader, far wider than most of us are accustomed to learning. Uh, 
So the beautiful part about it is once you learn the the um, massive uh, truth uh, of of biblical cosmology, everything looks different. Every I mean, even when you walk outside, it just looks different, and it enables us to see um, to see the deceptions and of of the world when they're trying to hit us with a bunch of foolishness. Um, and also it helps us learn the deeper truths in scripture, like um, the, the um, further evidence of Noah's flood, creation itself, um, um, all those different subjects in scripture. So it just opens up truth overall. I take it it's my turn to answer now, correct? We we yep. passing we passing off Michael now yep. just let you just to let you guys know too um, when I, and I already made this mistake and I turn off my mic when we're not talking just be sure to uh, turn off your microphone if you can and they'll just leave out any hums or extra things like that all right why does biblical cosmology actually matter number first of all it matters because we claim we want to spend an eternity with the Creator. All right, the Most High, including his son, Yahushua HaMashiach. But the question we all need to answer is, do we really care about his nine to five? And when I get asked this question, like, it's like, people are like, you know, so what? So what if the earth is a globe? It's five. It's like, what do you mean? So what? So what? It's to, an answer like that shows a completely detached mind uh, from the intimacy that person may claim to have with the creator, if that makes sense. Right. Like like you want to spend an eternity with the with the father. What about his character? What about his nine to five? What about what he does with his life? Right. You want to you want to know the makeup of his creation. Um, as Michael Solomon had pointed out, it exposes the lies of the world. I used to call it a Pandora's box, and that's a horrible, really example because a Pandora's box opens up demons, and so we don't want that. Maybe a better example is that it opens up the floodgates. And so if they're if they're lying about the shape of the earth, then all the governments of the world are in on it, obviously. And that that's a that's a hurdle that a lot of people can't get past. They can't. They're like, what do you mean? They're they're, they're the 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 not only are the American is the American government uh, lying, but the Russians are lying. And does that mean that the Russians and the Americans are actually in on this together? But I thought they were, you know, I thought they were like enemies. I thought that they were fighting against each other, right? Uh, you would think like, what, what better way for the Russians to expose America, but to show that they're they're lying about this, right? And they don't. And that right there, that's what I mean by opening up the floodgates. You then you realize that this is a worldwide conspiracy. They're all in on it. They all have their space agencies. You know, uh, was it India now is is setting up. Uh, 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 I guess rovers, whatever, to the dark side of the moon, and uh, you know Russia's been doing it, China's been doing it, and they're all in on it together. And from there, of course, it's just a domino effect where you know conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy starts opening up. So this is one of the reasons why it matters. Uh, another big reason is that it, it. This is something I've said a lot. I said when Michael, when you were on a couple uh, months ago, and I said this also at the Flat Earth Conference uh, that. It's not really, this argument isn't really about the shape of the earth or the shape of the world. It's about the shape of humanity. And what this is, it's, people can't give up the globe and they hug it to their bosom and they can't let go of it 
because it's everything within that globe that they can't give up. And they know that if that globe goes, then th this entire world that they, that they love goes with it. And that's why I constantly say this is about the shape of humanity. And I've seen many people uh, who are rooted in Christianity and have a, a general knowledge of the Bible. When you explain to them that it is a, ge a geocentric uh, book, you, some people might say flat, but, but it's a geocentric, obviously, book with the, 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 the co cosmological makeup, uh, the sun, the stars, the moon, all revolving around the earth. And, you know, they, they can understand the, the firmament and the pillars. They can see that. But I have seen people, it's like they're staring into this dark abyss. They look at it and they're just in despair because they're like, if this is true, I don't like this. I actually don't like th this character of the father, you know, and, and, and they eventually have to like dismiss the thought and throw it aside. And one of the things, Michael, we were talking about is I can't say it because this is going to go on YouTube, but you guys all know what we went through for the last several years is that leading up to that big event uh, the, from the, you know, the bat story from Wuhan, whatever, uh, I, I am of the opinion that the flat earth went to probably just about every pastor in America. At some point, every pastor was sitting in their office and some you know, got there's some keyboard warrior comes in, whatever. And, you know, they, they sit down and go, have you looked into this? Have you looked into what the Bible says about this? And they were all given the opportunity and the bulk of them rejected it. And so when they have now rejected this, as it came, when something else, that other big event came along, these same people, they shut down their doors. They, you know, they, they missed out. They missed out. They Yah wanted to show them something. He's like, I got something really big to show you. And then there's going to be these sequences of events of these other things I'm going to show you along the way. It's not going to stop here. This is just, these are baby steps. Here's the first one. And they rejected it. They've, you know, they probably rejected his Torah, a lot of other things that came along. And so this is why it matters. Yeah, those are, those are excellent uh, points, guys. You know, I, you know, and this is for so long if you guys don't know my background i come from a geocentric background and um so i i learned that the earth was geocentric in high school i went to a christian high school at the science teacher was teaching geocentricity ohio where we're from me and michael are from is known as the geocentric capital of the world because we were pumping out the most geocentric publications through uh, a group called the biblical astronomer uh, and it was done through the heads of uh, some of the most prestigious colleges uh, in this area they were uh, men of god but they were also head of astronomy programs and they were all geocentric men now they weren't biblically cosmology fullness which we would go the shape of the earth flat earth um but they did teach some very s principles which all relied back to the word so people ask me this question all the time why does it matter why do you speak at conferences why did we put on the take on the world conference why was that a topic at our event why do we still do a show why do we still go on and talk about these things well, 
you know, let's let's look back at Scripture. So, you know, the very first, you know, line of the Word of God tells us something completely opposite of the heliocentric lie that's being told, right? We have the earth being formed before the sun. It's foundational to heliocentricity that the that the sun must be formed first. So right off the bat, anybody claiming biblical creationism, whether it be Ken Ham, whether it be uh, the flat, uh, the uh, the um, uh, creation guys, um, whether it be Kentoven, whether it be any of these guys, right? They all will say at the end of the day, no, the foundational that the earth comes before the sun in every sense of the word. They believe that, yet still clinging to a model that absolutely and their foundations disagree with. Right off the bat, nobody that's claiming anything to deal with biblical cosmology, whether it be on the guys who don't even believe the way we do, or even even and or even geocentric who believe similar in some aspects, miss sort of the boat. And here's why biblical cosmology truly matters. Paul said it's really not about necessarily the shape of the earth. Uh, his creation matters. So his design matters. How he designed it does have Im uh, importance um, because there is implications throughout Scripture that teach us a relational aspect of the closeness of, of the Father and where he sits. But let's look at Genesis 1.14. It said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven, to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days and for years. <clears throat> I'm speaking to all you guys who already probably know this stuff, but that word seasons, here we have biblical cosmology, lights put in then motion through the sun, moon, and stars is what this is referring to, and even the wandering stars, is that these things were set in place as a clock to reveal that word here, seasons. And that word seasons is the word moed or the moedim. And it means only one thing. It doesn't mean summer, winter, spring, and fall. It means the feast days of Yahweh. Here is why biblical cosmology so much matters. Because right here, the fulfillment, the most vital parts of our faith, if we believe that Yeshua is the uh, is the um, that's a different discussion. It, the Yeshua is the Messiah and has come for us. He has fulfilled those specific feast days through Passover all the way through Shavuot, which is those feast days given right there, which represent our death, his death, burial, his resurrection, which are the most vital parts of our faith which yield salvation, here they are lumped up within creation only through biblical cosmology, only through what he has set up. And, and so many people always go, well, flat earther answer, what are they doing? They're hiding resources. They're hiding um, more land. They're hiding all these things. Flat, flat earther goes, they're hiding God. Right there, that's proof that they're already hiding God. But here's the big thing. Satan has hijacked every form of, of science to prove so many of those things that God doesn't exist. But he's also trying to tell us there's a God who's not coming back for us, right? In some sense of the word, me and Noel probably disagree on this, but we do agree that he is coming back and that it would be on that great eighth day. 
we are right in the final days of those feast days or the fall feast right here created in creation in biblical cosmology it is the blessed hope it, it goes through trumpets all the way through whether we believe that occurred or did not occur not the point of tonight but we do know that it gets to that great eighth day when the when when the the messiah puts eternity into into motion that has happened in creation through cosmology that's why every aspect of following these feast days deals with that big clock in the sky Heliocentricity, the, the world wants to put in new constellations. They want to change our calendars. They want to change all these things. And here it is. Here's why biblical cosmology matters so much. Because it reveals the death, burial, the resurrection, the, and the blessed hope of that soon-to-come Messiah. Whether he's reigning here or not. Right here, biblical cosmology absolutely matters. And it is the life-changing aspect of not that it's about the shape really puts these things in motion of why we even need to look at it why every pastor should uh, jump into these things and actually trust what the word says because the word never fails good uh michael your question is up okay um my question is uh, excellent discourse, Chris, as usual, the master apologist. Um, my question is, how does biblical cosmology help us see the signs and wonders before us today? So before I answer that, give me, Michael, maybe give me like an example. Okay, when um, the, the context of this question is um, the existence of the creator, the existence of the most high. Um, how does biblical cosmology serve as visual evidence of that, empirical evidence of his existence, how he does things, how he affects the world, how he is in control? Well, that's that's actually really good. Uh, I was looking at it from a different angle earlier, and I'm like, wow, the way you just phrased that is actually really good. Okay, so this is one of the things that for me has really reshaped my thinking with the firmament and the fact that he put a, uh, a firmament up there on this. He used the entire second day of creation just to create this firmament, which separates heaven above from the earth below. Now, some of my paleo friends out there, as they're digging into the paleo, they're starting to question whether or not the uh, the firmament was created on the second day. It may have already been there, meaning that in the creation account, there are some things that are, in Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, there are some things that are being uh, created, and there are some things that are not being created that were already there, all right? Nevertheless, th this idea that we are underneath the firmament, uh, that is a, it, it's a revolutionary thought for me when we think about, uh, and I don't know where you two are at on this, but when we think about pre-existence, when we think about the birthing of souls. So in Jubilee chapter one, it says that all, uh, all souls were created 
on the first day before the throne. He, or I should say, I, I'm sorry, let me back that up. All Ruachoth, all spirits. He is the father of all spirits. They were all created on the first day. And then you get all the way to second Ezra. And Ezra is, is talking about uh, why can't all these, these spirits be born all at once? Why can't he just bring them down all at once? There's this whole uh, this, this assembly line of spirits that are waiting to be born up until the very end. And he's like, why can't you just have them uh, be born now? And he's like, well, that's not the way. He says that it, he actually uses the word a womb. That the earth is a womb we are actually in it's like literally like in the matrix right now we are in a womb and we are not born yet that's really crazy to think about that everyone has two births we have the first birth when we come out of water out of our mother and then we have the the second birth of spirit in which case we go through the firmament up through the water up to the heavens above and we are like uh basically in this gestation gestational period right now. And it's a big test. It's a big test to see, um, can we spend a, a, an eternity with the father? And this is a little crude, but it's like, can he trust us that we're not gonna stick a knife in his back when he's not looking, right? This is why we're here. And this is what the cosmological model shows me. The, the whole thing with the, the earth being a spinning globe or a planet, when you get to the book of uh, Jude, that's actually a vulgar term. He says that uh, the, he calls the deceived people planets. Uh, they're a wandering star. You don't want to be a wandering star. And so when they're telling us that we live on a wandering star, we live on a planet, we're basically set adrift without the Torah, without the law, without any standards. And it, that makes total sense to how they're trying to gear society uh, with all their psyops, all their intel um, you know, operations and so on and so forth. And they're trying to get us to wander further and further and further away from the creator. And so when we look at the cosmological model and we are under this ferment heaven right above us, and it's a, it's a, it's an intimate picture of, of our being born in this world, being tested in this world, and then our salvation where we can finally rise above up into heaven above the firmament. Over to you, Chris. Yeah, that's great. I, I would, <clears throat> I'll go the different route. Because you could take this question so many different ways. Um, and so I will go with what I had already prepared for in this regard. Um, for years, I've been mocked, laughed at, ridiculed, as many of us have been. It was when, in the past recent years, um, when something came out that we can't really talk about because it's going to go on YouTube, when the thing leaked from wherever it came from, we everybody knows what we're talking about. I had more people reach out to me, tell me, we see something happening, we see something occurring. Now, I will tell you, anybody who was already on the side of biblical cosmology, 100%, weren't falling victim to any of the lies that were already being told. Now, flat earthers, I can't say the same for some. There were very, there were some flat earthers that were still riding the fence because I actually knew them, but it was very little. I would say almost no biblical cosmologist actually knew because they they saw the spiritual warfare that was happening there because we've already seen it. What I'm getting at it, this is a worldview changer. 
This changes your worldview so much that it opens up the ability for you to see what's right in front of you. So we had more people who mocked us, ridiculed us for years on end. And I could read those texts to you, those emails. Hi, Chris and Liz. Ever since this happened and I started studying this V word, ever since I started looking into this, and ever since I saw that, can you send me some flat earth videos and proofs? And it was nothing but two weeks, three weeks later, they're going, oh my goodness, I'm sorry for making fun of you. I'm sorry for ridiculing you. No matter how truth gets you, and we're going to get into some different truths tonight, and we're going to talk about that, but what this does is it changes that worldview. Because I think always truth changes your worldview, changes everything around you that you can see. And I'm not, I'm not going at it from a Gnostic aspect. I think it changes your spiritual lens. So when we come to this truth, because it's a spiritual truth, right? His whole word is spiritual. It teaches us lessons. And in this creation, right? Because all we're doing is we're talking about the very essence of creation that he created and how we can walk in that and how we can see the lies of this world. We do not fall victim to these things. We It opens up a floodgate of us going, nope, not falling for that. Nope, not falling for that. And it, and it, and it almost is like a domino effect, right? We, we, we see these lies start to just fall and crumble. And that's why you see so many people came to um, uh, walking in Torah because of seeing their worldview crumble when they just jumped into uh, the be- first book of Torah, right? Genesis. And when Genesis changes it, right? Same thing can happen with the, the Nephilim and, uh, you know, that kind of aspect as well. It's, it's a game changer of how you start to view the rest of the scripture. So I would say coming to the truth of biblical cosmology forces a worldview change and what's i'm going to say this very scary only one truth and we're on a quest to find that truth as rob skiba always would say but there is a path that's being led by him and there's clearly a path that's leading away from him and so if you're watching this or you see this and you're following a side and you're a bible believer you're siding with people that name their uh, moon missions after gods, after after uh, uh, God's direct enemies, Apollo, right? We have the, we have his his arch nemesis throughout Scripture, and they're going to name it after them: known Masons, known occultists, uh, known secularists, known atheists. We're going to start to side with them. I would go on a limb, and I'm just going to say it: is that side is being led by satan himself and another side is being led yahweh himself and that is leading the truth leading to his word and that's why more people are coming to this wanting to obey him love him and learn more about him the other side they're getting further and further away from him okay so both of you just um use a lot of my answers <laughs> um so i'm gonna try to add to that you are not getting off the hook michael no 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 i think i have something to add to that hold on i'm gonna start my timer all right 
So, okay. One of the phenomenal things that I noticed about biblical cosmology is it utterly destroyed the um, fables and fairy tales that have been taught in churches. Um, we've, we've talked about uh, how uh, secularism um, and the world religions um, try to teach lies that go away from uh, scriptural truth. One of the things that I have noticed is that it also destroys a lot of fables that churches teach, uh, such as, um, um, they didn't say Yahweh when I was a kid, they, 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 they use God. So they said, God is in another dimension somewhere far away. Um, uh, you know, kind of like the Mormons say, he lives on a planet called Kolob, which is hilarious to me. It's like they could have used a little, you know, Smith could have used a little more imagination, but that's a different subject. Um, but but it, it, it takes that myth and utterly destroys it because when you look at the creation of the dome based on Genesis 1, if you look at the creation of the dome, then you literally know that Yahweh himself is physically close. Not only is his spirit inside of us at the point of salvation, and he's living in, in us and through us, through the Holy Spirit, we can actually know that his physical being, okay, because Yahweh does have a body. And that's another thing that churches teach, you know, he's like a ball of energy, like the force. Um, he's actually sitting on the throne, on the dome, on the other side of the dome, where where we can actually see okay i mean we can't see him but he's on the other side of the dome that means he's physically close that means he's miles away literally miles away so i mean just thinking about that blows your mind to know that the creator of the world of everything that we see in creation is that close physically okay so that blew me away at first, and that knowledge um, enables us to see the lies that the world is constantly being thrown at us. And, and, and all three of us have talked about that because this is really important. Um, biblical cosmology cuts through all of those lies. And, and that's a big one. There's another one that, that I noticed that it validates his creation. Okay, so so when you see biblical, when you realize how the world is created, how it looks, it validates everything scripture talks about, physical, empirical validation, confirmation. And that also makes it easier to share our, our faith, share our relationship with the Father. Now, nowadays, when someone asks me, well, can you prove God exists? Yeah, that's easy. Now that's easy, okay? Whereas before, I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know. But now, it is so easy to prove that now. And it just blows people's minds, you know, when I present that evidence. And, and the further um, um, explanations of the reality of Yahweh. Instead of it, it, it's a personal thing, and you know, it's something that that 
that I have with, with just he, he and I and it's my truth and all those lies from hell. No, it, it, it makes it a, a empirical reality that we can not only live with, with far more um, vigilance, but we can share it easier. And that's the beautiful part about it. I mean, we, we must never forget the Great Commission. We're supposed to be spreading the truth of the Father. And biblical cosmology makes that mission a lot easier. So, so really, it, it all goes back to the construct of truth, the power of, of truth, and how we can actually spread it and understand it better. Beautiful. So I guess it's my turn to ask a question and I'm going to move it away from the flat earth talk for a moment. And uh, so here it goes. You guys knew I was going to ask this question. Paul or Shaul or, or Paul, true apostle or false apostle and why? Handing it over to, uh, I think, guess Chris, right? Yeah, you come next. Yeah, it's coming to me. Wow, great question. <clears throat> one, hey, the one question. Um, well, there's a lot of the, a lot of these questions. One question, depending on how you answer this, will either gain you a lot of people who like you, or um, you'll lose a lot of people. Well, you know this really closely. Um, so, Paul, let me start out by saying this. 40,000 different denominations. Give or take. Who knows what the real number is? That's just a that's just a, a number thrown out there. Atheistic number, maybe? I don't know. I guarantee you that Paul's writings are the very reason that those very different denominations exist on the majority of those things. Paul already comes with um, some issues there, right? So we are, you know, this is already, you know, how do we, how we view it, right? Here we are in Torah compared to a, a, a Baptist church. It, it, what does it come down to? It doesn't come down to the words of the Messiah. It comes down to the words of Paul. It comes down to his letters. It comes down to those things. I have held and always probably will hold that I do believe Paul to be a true, um, you know, a, a apostle. I, I, I truly believe that. Here's why. Um, I believe that every aspect of Paul's writings um, are designed as a test. I think, I think Yahweh did a very amazing thing in preserving his works, making them part of what we would deem or what we would call in most, you know, most countries canon, okay? Um, whether that's correct, whether that's incorrect, just it's what it is. And so Paul is that test. And Peter tells us that Paul's writings are hard to understand, and many that read them are, to, are going to twist them. And I think that is a design of Yahweh, to actually trust his word. Or are you going to, he, he created things to be tickled 
Um, because there are ways you can read Paul out of context that tickle your ears into Christian freedom, Christian, um, all these Christian liberties that we can live a certain lifestyle, do a, live a certain way that sound good. But I, are, I, they are so foreign, even a Christian worldview, right? There is no Christian would hold to, you can watch whatever you want, do, uh, you know, say whatever you want, um, listen to any type of music, uh, watch any type of music, uh, movie, listen to, watch pornography. It, it, they wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say it on any of those moral levels. So then they have to create doctrines and ideas around Christian freedom, Christian ideology. When Paul was never teaching these things, Paul was always teaching that his law was freedom, that, that the, the curse of breaking the law is bondage. You know, Paul was um, teaching Gentiles, new convert Gentiles, to keep feast. He was teaching them to uh, walk in his ways, keep the Sabbath day. Um, uh, you know, working with these people, and, and he gives great perspective of how we are to to work with people, but it was never a different faith, right? I think this is the biggest thing that I would say uh, when I'm talking to someone and I ask them this simple question, is, do you have the same doctrine of Moses, Abraham, David, Elijah, all the patriarchs of the scripture, and they would always have to sit back and go, well, I don't think I do. And I'm going, the word is the same doctrine of all of those men throughout all entire time. It doesn't, it doesn't change. The core basis of the doctrine, walking in his law, Psalms 119, doesn't change. Did that change? No. Um, I mean, you know, reading the Psalms, we, we, have, we have the passage in the Psalms in the 50s or the 60s, of 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 david and the psalm of david of 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 his sin of bathsheba right and um so and i bring that point up as, as i was reading that today um a good reminder of 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 yah's grace that he has always had grace didn't isn't a magical thing of of christianity new covenant theology it's always been there and so when we look at how paul you know one of the biggest issues with Paul was that he was this murderer. He killed all these, these, uh, these, these believers and, you know, you know, his false conversion, all of these things. Um, I believe Yahweh used that and showed that same grace, um, that he gave to David in, in fornication, in murder, in, 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 in leading, um, her husband to death in front of the lines. Um, so I, I even through all the things about Paul, all the negative things about Paul, I, I see that God has used those things and is still continuing to use these things as a test to show, are you going to just listen to my word, listen to my ways, and actually read what Paul actually had to say without reading the words of men? So I actually have no issues with Paul. Um, is Paul's writing scripture? That's, that is more debatable in my opinion. Um, because they were letters written to churches rather than being scripture itself. Do they have scripture-like today um, applications? I would say yes, but I don't think they were ever originally written as scripture, um, but they, they're they amazing. So, Thank you, Chris. All right, Michael. Um, 
what's your response? Okay. Um, as far as Paul is concerned, uh, the road to Damascus really does it for me uh, because he was confronted by the Messiah himself personally and given his mandate, given his mission. Um, Paul does not make any assertions that contradict scripture. Uh, and um, matter of fact, he, he actually helps in understanding in scripture when you read his letters. Um, I, I agree those are letters, but, but since Paul's life was um, guided by the Messiah himself, um, and, and there seems to be, uh, that seems to be obvious, especially with the miracles. Um, when the only way you could do miracles, well, miracles, period, is by the power of the Messiah. Um, if a person is a, is, is a false uh, prophet or, 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 or someone who just decided to make themselves a certain position, there's this old Southern pastor, and 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 he would ask a person were were you sent or did you just went uh and so if you just went then no there would be no miracles um there would be no miracles performed through you by the messiah so that also is further evidence that he's the real deal um but his consistency of truth and non-contradiction um stands the test of time and it has shown um, who he is and who he has declared himself to be. Because you can say who you are because there's, there's plenty of scripture, like I have some here, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 1, 2 Corinthians 11, 5, uh, Galatians 1, 1, uh, Colossians 1, 1, and, and it just goes on where he's asserting his own position in um, as an apostle, and he backs it up with history, with action. So um, I don't have a problem with Paul in, in, in that regard. All right. I guess I thank you, Michael. And I'm going to set my timer here. <clears throat> All right. So as, as you guys know, I was anti-Paul for a while. Uh, and I, I don't I don't regret throwing Paul out. What I regret is that I let people know I did that. And I wish I would have been silent about it and been able to investigate it on my own privately. Because now that I have come back to Paul, uh, I the anti-Paul people are going to hate me for this. Uh, they already do. But uh, I, I feel like I, I, I finally really get him. Like I truly get – like I, I, I can read his stuff and go, I see what you're saying there, Paul. I get it. Now – Quickly, I will say that I don't believe the the letters of Paul are scripture, and that really helped me uh, a lot. Going, this is a guy writing commentary on the Torah. He's writing to the Goyim commentary on the Torah. I feel the same way, of course, about the twelve uh, apostles: uh, James, Jude, first, second, third John, uh, first, second Peter. That these are letters being written. I don't include them as the same authority as I would the Tanakh or. Uh, or, or the Torah. Okay. So that being said, I wanted to really quickly share what brought me back. And it was actually while reading the book of Acts and trying to figure out who is the historical Paul being written by Luke here. 
all right? So we first see in Acts chapter 6 that Stephen is being stoned. Why is he being stoned? He is accused of blaspheming Moshe by the Jews. The Jews are lying and throwing out false accusation that he's a blaspheming Moshe. He's not. We see in chapter, uh, later on in chapter 6, they set up false witnesses to claim he was blaspheming, blaspheming the Torah and also that he was claiming Yahushua would change the customs of Moshe. So we know that these are false accusations. The writer Luke is saying they, he was killed because he was falsely accused. And I was like, wait, what? Okay, so Luke is affirming the Torah. He's affirming that anyone who says that Christianity is supposed to move away from the Torah, they're actually agreeing with the lying Jews. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. So you keep reading. Read Acts chapter 8. Uh, so you see that uh, Shaul consented to his death based upon these claims, that Stephen uh, was uh, blaspheming the Torah, and he was claiming that Messiah was doing the same. We move forward to chapter 9. We see that Shaul proved um, that Yahushua was the Mashiach according to the Torah, not against it. So I started reading this going, okay, the historical Paul, he's pro-Torah. He's pro-Messiah that's pro-Torah. I'm like, well, this is interesting. And why is Luke, as his biography, agreeing with this if, if they're trying to pull people away from it? And then we get further on in chapter 9, and we see the Talmudim, the 12 uh, apostles, including Yaakov, spared Sha uh, Shaul's life when the Jews tried to kill him based on— now they are taking Stephen's accusations, and they're spitting it onto Paul. And they lowered lower him from a basket in Yerushalayim. Okay, now we're jumping forward to chapter 14. The Jews stone Paul based on Deuteronomy chapter 13. They're saying, you don't pass the Deuteronomy 13 test because you are leading people away from the Torah, which, again, if he truly was, he deserved to be stoned. But Elohim, he spared him. It was, it was one of those miracles saying, no, this guy is not leading people away from the Torah. You're the ones that are doing that, which you see all through the uh, Romans and other books like that. All right. Then we get to the big chapter, Acts chapter 15. I'm checking my time here. Running out of time. Let's see if I can make this. It's decided by Yaakov, the Talmudim, Paul, Barnabas, and the, believe, the, the Pharisees. There are believing Pharisees here that the converts should turn to Torah and hear Moshe each week. That's the whole idea. They're going to hear the Torah read each and every week, and they're going to learn slowly. And they're, then they're going to come into these issues like circumcision and others. Um, and uh, we move forward to ch uh, chapter 18. Once again, Paul is falsely accused for breaking the Torah and leading people away from the Torah. Falsely accused, mind you. Um, he then takes a Nazarite vow. He shaves his head to say, look, guys, I keep the Torah. I'm shaving my head, Nazarite vow. Then we see in chapter 21, Yaakov addresses the rumors put on by the Jews. And he's saying, I got Paul's back. You guys are saying he's leading people away from the Torah. He's leading, he's blaspheming Moshe. He's declaring a, a Messiah that's saying not to keep the Torah. I got his back. You guys, that's not, that's not what's happening at all. And once again, he shaves his head. So when I started reading this, I'm going, wait a second here. Th this historical Paul actually agreed with the Torah. And if I were to say that he was leading people to blaspheme the Torah and to lead people away from it, I'm actually agreeing with the lies of the Jews. And I, I, I couldn't get past that. And I, I got stuck on that. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a Paul I never realized before, I never encountered. 
And so if I'm going around spreading these rumors that he's a false apostle, I'm actually agreeing with the very Jews that had Messiah killed, the ones that were lying about him and lying about everybody and, and going around slandering people. He's still slandered to this day. And fortunately, these lies that the Jews put forward, Christianity picked and ran with it because they're saying that, you know, he's telling us to break the Torah and that's what Elohim wants for us. So that's my five minutes right there. I actually went over five minutes and I'm going to try to keep to my time. I could keep talking, but uh, I'm handing it back over to you, Chris, to ask your next, next question. Oh, yeah. Hey, great. No, that was awesome. Hey, uh, really quickly. I think when you're when we're reading Paul as well, there's an aspect of a historical content that very much matters, because if you read, you know, most Christians will read a, a passage like Colossians two, sixteen. It gets quoted over and over about whether it be feast or what we can eat, all these different things. When you don't have a historical content, um, context of who it, it's being written to, who it's being written about, you know, you learn that Colossians is all about combating Gnosticism. Here's the worshiping of angels. This is, and then when you understand what the Gnostics were teaching, were all the very same things that are being dealt with in here. New feast days, mandatory things, uh, fasting during feasting, uh, or, or fasting during feast days, right? We had all these things. So it's so important these letters must be understood through a contextual lens historically. And if we don't have that and we read it, like trying to explain something, like if we were to, uh, you know, tell um, the, the people a hundred years ago uh, from now about the C word that just happened and what it was like to live through that with masks and all these things and something they want to shoot into our arms. And all they have is just a, a pamphlet that just tells you you know, just a handful about it. They have no background. They have no mindset. That's the same thing that's happening in these snapshot letters because everybody knew exactly what Paul was talking about when he was writing those letters because they were writing him, telling him this is what's happening, this is what's going on. So I think that's so important when we're reading Paul because if we're struggling with it, we better start learning that history if we want to do it. So I'm moving on to that next question. I am going to also keep it off of uh, uh, biblical cosmology and go to one um, that deals with the afterlife. Where do we go when we pass in this lifetime? Okay. You, Michael. Put my timer. All right. Um, I was taught when I was going to school, I mean, when I was in church, when I was a child, and also you see it in movies and documentaries and stuff like that when you die you go to heaven or hell okay but that is in a contradiction to what scripture teaches um scripture clearly teaches that we go to sleep and we have a um time where we are kind of like in the sci-fi word in stasis okay um I mean, the whole concept of uh, sleeping um, before uh, the great day when, when the Messiah comes back, uh, that's a whole subject in and of itself. But there's plenty of scripture that supports that we do not go straight to heaven. What we do is we go to sleep, and then when the Messiah comes back, we will 
he will raise us up and we will rule with him. Uh, there's plenty of scripture that supports the sleeping uh, um, truth where, let's see, so like it has here, uh, Daniel 12, 2, and, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So there you have that sleeping part and, and within the context of that scripture, sleep, death is referred to as sleep. Um, uh, uh, and let's see, Acts 13, 36, for David, after he had served his, his own generation by, by the will of God, fell asleep, has, um, I mean, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. So he said he fell asleep and he saw corruption. So what that means is he was in the grave and his body saw corruption, but his soul fell asleep waiting for that eventual day. Um, one more, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who, and this is in, in parentheses, those, those who had died, lest you, lest you sorrow as the others who have no hope. For if we believe that, that Yahshua died and rose again, even so Yahweh will bring with, I'm reading over my tablet, Yah, Yahweh will bring with him those who sleep in Yahshua. So, so it clearly says that when we pass, when we, when this body stops working, we we go into a pause time, um, and and then after that, then the judgment. So, so no, we do not go straight to heaven or hell. We, according to what Scripture says, we fall asleep. All right, good. I'm I'm glad you covered that, Michael, and um, because I don't have to introduce soul sleep. If, if you guys would have spoken to me about five years ago, I was really big on soul sleep. I talked about it a lot. I actually found it was more divisive than the flat earth. People were getting so upset at me over that. And um, anyways, so I've actually changed my opinion now, and I have gone back to a position that when we die, we, a lot of people still go to Sheol. Uh, they will await there for the judgment. But I am of the opinion that we we might go to Sheol. There, there, there might have to be another reset. I don't really know. There might be these stages of resets. But I believe that when Yahushua HaMashiach uh, died, when he was crucified, that at that time he uh, set the people in Sheol free and he led them up into uh, paradise. So let me give you guys uh, some scripture on this with the time that I have. Uh, the, the big one is 2nd Esdras 2, 28-31. I'm going to take the time to read this one. It says, uh, the heathen shall envy you. This is speaking to uh, the children of the mother of the Ruach HaKadosh. Uh, she is the mother of Israel only. And so this is anyone who was grafted into Israel. The heathen shall envy you, but they shall be able to do nothing against you, says Yahuwah. My hand shall cover you so that your children shall not see Sheol. All right. Now, this is the context of how he's talking about it, because this whole this whole book is about death. Be joyful, O mother, with your children, for I will deliver you, says Yahuwah. Remember your children that sleep, for I shall bring them out of the sides of the earth and show mercy unto them. 
And uh, so it's prophesying a time that there will be children of Israel that will not see Sheol and that they will actually, Sheol will be emptied out and that it seems to me that there'll be future generations that will not see it. All right. So moving on, we see this, this is the first book of Adam and Eve. It says, for I will come and save you. So uh, this is in chapter 31, 2 to 3. I'm skipping a lot here because of shortage of time. He's promising to Adam. He's saying, I am going to come and I'm going to save you from Sheol personally. All right. We see in the gospel of Bartholomew, chapter one, verse 22, Yahusha answered and said unto him, it was Adam, the first form for whose sake I came down from heaven upon earth. So he came down to fulfill his promise to Adam, according to this book, to uh, free him from Sheol, take him back to paradise. Uh, and then we see in the revelation of Moshe, uh, and he's, he's here speaking to Adam. And he's saying, but when thou art gone out of paradise, if you will keep thyself from all evil as being destined to die, I and so he's saying here, look, you, you've got to keep from evil. I'm not going to just save you. There's no promise of that. You have to live a life that is, you have to live the life of a righteous person. All right. And he says, I will again rise thee up when the resurrection comes. And, th and then there shall be given thee the tree of life and you will be free from death forever. All right. The next one comes from the book of Adam. I'm just showing a lot of different books here that confirm this. And it says, um, then at the five and a uh, half thousandth year, this is according to when Yahushua came year 5,500, according to the LXX, uh, the beloved son of Elohim, Messiah, will come upon the earth to resurrect Adam's body from his fall because of the transgression of the commands. He's actually saying he will actually be resurrected when Messiah comes uh, the first time. Okay, the next one is the Gospel of Nicodemus, and it says, Then will Mashiach, the most merciful son of Elohim, come on earth to raise again the human body of Adam, and at that same time to raise the bodies of the dead. So all the, the patriarchs, everyone who came after Adam, he's going to resurrect them too. And then we see one last passage here. I'm going to see what my time is. Good, I'm making good time. Uh, the Gospel of Nicodemus. I love for, uh, everyone who knows uh, me, my channel, and so on and so forth. I love the Gospel of Nicodemus. It's one of my favorites. In chapter 20, we see this. Is, this is a beautiful verse. It says, Then Adonai, this would be Yahushua HaMashiach, holding Adam by the hand, delivered him to Michael, the archangel, and he led them into paradise, filled with mercy and glory. And so we see the scene. This happens, of course, at the crucifixion. The, and uh, Hasatan takes him down to Sheol. And Hasatan doesn't know he's the Messiah. Like he, he doesn't know he's, well, I should, let me back that up. He doesn't know he's the son of Elohim. He, he thinks he's got, he's like bagged this prophet or somebody. He's been trying to figure out who he is the whole time during the temptation of the wilderness. He doesn't know who he is. He brings him down there bragging that he's got this, he's got a live one, you know, he's the crazy guy, bringing him down. And to, and it's basically a trap. It's a Trojan horse. Yahusha is able to get into Sheol and he just wreaks havoc there and he, he breaks down the gates. Uh, smashes the jaws of Leviathan, and uh, he's able to lead the the people up to paradise. So my conclusion is, I, I've changed my opinion. I would have at one time been a soul sleep guy, and I think soul sleep was. I think it's all accurate biblically. That you went down and you went down in the ground into Sheol, and I also believe that very likely the um, the the sinners as well as the wicked still do go to Sheol. They have to wait their their judgment. But I think that those who are uh, are found in Mashiach uh, do go to paradise. And I just went over my time uh, just to throw out one other option, though, is that, well, 
I don't need to. Uh, I'm over time. So I'll end there. I think it's uh, up to you, Chris. Okay. I'm going to try to make it a little bit uh, shorter because I think I'm running over time each time. <clears throat> this question almost always depends on your eschatology stance. And I, I would say, no, fair, fair enough, maybe give me a thumbs up. Because of some of your recent eschatology, your, your opinion of, of, of death was a, a byproduct of that. Yes or no? You can, yeah, he didn't, oh, okay. Okay, maybe I was wrong there, but I see that as that. Because most, most people in the church who are pre-trib, uh, people, you know, waiting for, um, you know, Jesus to come back at any moment type of people always will be, you know, our loved ones go to heaven, look down upon us uh, type of approach, you know, something that feels really good. When we're looking at scripture, and I think, you know, I think anything I'm going to say, Noel will say, hey, that's, that's biblically accurate, right? Where it comes to, you know, how we interpret these things. I think this is a fascinating topic for a lot of reasons, but we know that the just and the unjust will rise together. And I'm going to go on a limb and say this. So I, I'm going to spare everybody a biblical, huge biblical explanation, other than, you know, one of the things, you know, that we get where it says um, the classic to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. The context there is, is I'd rather be and the word melon, M-E-L-L-O-N, rather, is actually accurately translated there. 25 times, it's, it's, it's rather. It's, he'd rather be absent from this body and be present from the Lord. I'm, I'm actually, so I'm not necessarily a soul sleep guy. I'm not also on that flip side. This is how I view things. Um, I can be 100% accurate. This is just my opinion. And so when we look at these things, what does that mean? I'd rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. I believe that time only exists within the constructs of human, the human world. God exists outside of time. Yahweh exists. I mean, he has no beginning. He has no end. He is timeless. The spiritual world is in the same realm. When we get to in, uh, that great eighth day and eternity hits, you know that there is no time. Now, I believe the moment that we pass is also the very moment that we awake. The same moment of awakening for every single person. The only time that's taken place is those that are left here on earth human time and so there isn't like sleeping and dreaming and these types of things or just being set there is that very moment that you pass is also the very moment that you awake and that you are now present with him it, whether it be the just and the unjust because this will will happen now if you if we already believe in the resurrection um, i believe that there is a resurrection of, um, of the just and the unjust, and that is known in, in Revelation as the first resurrection. 
and then it says the next resurrection won't take place to a thousand years and that's probably where i would talk about eschatology if we believe that thousand year has already occurred and that next resurrection will uh, we will be part of the second resurrection i believe still in that first resurrection has not occurred but i believe that that all that have passed that very moment of waking up all simultaneously prove it it just it just makes a whole lot of sense spiritually speaking of how we deal with time and all those things so that would be my short quick take and all interesting things noel always noel has such interesting things on that every single time so well let me just quickly uh, jump in real quick just to clarify that um yeah i came to this conclusion i used to be a hard a hard ass soul sleep guy and i i still believe those rules apply uh, my coming to this just came in reading multiple, multiple texts where they're basically saying, uh, look, it, it happens at, at, the, at the cross. Uh, you know, he brought them up to paradise. Uh, so I'm of the opinion that we might go back to soul sleep. Maybe there's like a big reset. Maybe it's, it has to fill back up again and then he resurrects again. I, I don't really know. I, I, so I guess it, ultimately I couldn't answer if I go to, to paradise or not. Maybe I do go to Sheol. Maybe not, but according to Second Ezra, it seems to me like it was empty out. Anyways, uh, that's just—I just wanted to clarify uh, my thoughts. So, Michael, I think we're on your question now. Okay. Um, my second question is: What are the benefits to reading scripture literally? All right, I think I'm up first. And Chuck Missler stated, oh, before I talk about Chuck Missler, let me get my uh, timer on. All right, here we go. Chuck Missler, Chuck Missler stated before he died, I, it was, it, I remember watching this and really being, this really affected me. He said that he has changed his opinion on the Bible many, many, many times. Now, keep in mind, he's an old man here. He's a lifelong theologian really, you know, intelligent, well-researched guy. And he's like, look, I've changed my opinion many times on the Bible, but, it, and it's like, he waits, he puts that like pause in there for you to gasp. Like, really? He's like, every single time it is to take the Bible more literally. And I, I would, I would say the same now, of course, you know, I love extra biblical books and many of those have informed many of my, uh, my thoughts when I, you know, see them all connecting and that kind of stuff. But, um, so, you know, taking it to like say the the flat Earth, uh, if Yahuwah, or you could say the Word uh, Yahusha, the Word, testified to a flat, motionless Earth, only to agree with the science of the day. This is the big argument that he was just you know they, the 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 Hebrews were just a kind of a gullible kind of ignorant people, and and I've seen this argued. I've seen it like, well, if he tried to you know explain the the Copernican globe model that, you know, Moses, Moshe wouldn't have believed it and the Israelites wouldn't have believed it. And so he just had to go with the, the Mesopotamian, you know, that the Egyptian, the Babylonian idea and the Greek idea and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, okay whatever, whatever do. But anyways, uh, if, if he was doing that, just to agree with the science of the day, then number one, he would be lying. And it's not true. He's lying to us. So if he's lying to us and telling us something that's not true, how can you take the rest of the Bible? The rest of the Bible now falls into question. Uh, the, the, the science changes, but the truth never changes. And in fact, I think maybe, Michael, you had said this earlier uh, tonight, 
And so imagine if this if the same principle applied to the hum hum, okay, that you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Recall how much science has changed over the last few years alone. All right. And think about the science now, how you have uh, you have when you, people are asked, what is a woman? People are too afraid to even answer the question because now the science is changing. And now a woman is no longer an XX chromosome with a uterus um, able to with a womb that is able to give birth to children. Now a woman is a a feeling, an emotion, anybody can be a woman, I can be a woman, which now undermines all the women's liberation marches. They go out there on these saying how women are being uh, whatever held back in society. And it's like, well, how can you claim that now? Because now the CEO of a company who's a man, uh, a, a white heterosexual man can claim to be a woman. And now you can't claim that anymore because now anybody can be a woman, right? So. Obviously, Yahoo is not going to change his opinion on the shape of the earth. He's not going to change his opinion on what a man or a woman is. And he's not going to change his opinion on his law. He has a law up in heaven that is uh, has been given to us uh, on Sinai. And the moment I realized that, I'm telling you, like, the, the, the Bible itself crackled with animation. Like, it was like, this is a living document. This is his instructions in righteous living and it's forever it will never change you know he will you know keeping his sabbath days eating like there's never going to be a time when he's going to say no you can eat pork now you know it's, it's all good it's like no this is his character this is who he is and um i'm going to just cut it short there a minute early over to you chris It just did something weird. Okay, sorry about that. Um, there we go. Um, the literal reading of his word. I always go back to this one uh, video that Michael Rood did. I don't know who Michael Rood did, uh, is. He did this whole episode where he's bashing Flat Earth. You remember this, Michael? Um, and he started talking about how these morons, and he used the word morons, these idiots who don't know how to read the word of God. And he starts talking like this, degrading anybody who speaks what the word has to say. And he starts quoting uh, similes and metaphors and all these different things about scripture while quoting... Uh, Bollinger um, and the funny thing is he's using Noel knows this he's using the guy who who was one of the first uh, Christian uh, authors on flat earth he's using the guy's textbook that he wrote on how to read the Bible literally and then understand when it's simile when it's a metaphor and it's a whole textbook how to do that but the guy was one of the biggest wrote novels of flat earth that reached the, the, the top of your room oh 
that's what it does. It, it again, it's, it changes your worldview. It changes your perspective. It puts the authority back into the word, right? When we, when we allow the text, we allow God's word to be the authority in our lives again by literally reading it and going, you know, that's just figurative. Oh, that's just this. When we don't understand something, it takes all the power out. And who does it give the power to? It gives the power back to those that are telling you another thing. In this case, science. It gives the power back to that magical word science when we're looking at cosmology. You know, Michael knows Christian professors who are um, evolutionist. They don't read creation literally. It just gives the power that the word has and gives it right back to this magical word called science, which is scientism, as we often so call it. So that's, you know, right there, that's what it does. It puts the power of the word back where it's supposed to be, to be an authority in our lives. So yes, we need to understand that Yeshua isn't a door. He's not a physical door. You know, we're not stupid, right? We, we understand these things. That's the only argument they get. Well, Yeshua, Jesus is not a door. We, we get these things. We understand that. We also understand when he describes his, his creation and he gives a very clear depiction, he doesn't mean the exact opposite. He means what he said he meant. And that's what it does. It puts the power back into the, the word of Yahweh. Okay, that was great, both of you. Uh, let me start it. Okay. Um, wow, this is a big subject for me. So when you say, uh, boy, I'm so hungry, I can eat an ox, that doesn't mean you have no appetite whatsoever. Okay, so when you use a metaphor, it's, it's, it's used to um, dramatically explain the concept you're trying to relay. So when Genesis, as well as the rest of scripture, and even the extra biblical texts describe a flat enclosed earth, it's not explaining a ball floating through an ever-spanning infinite cosmos, okay? I mean, it's, it's being literal. And one thing I learned about scripture is the best way to read it is literally, yes, there's going to be metaphors, but those metaphors and similes are easy to detect and, and separate from the literal reading. When I was a child, um, I was taught to read the Bible literally. Now, mind you, I didn't realize the earth was flat. Um, it didn't go that far, uh, but I was taught the value of reading the word literally, okay? Um, the, the, the doctrine of accommodation did not, was not taught in my household, meaning um, these ignorant sheep herders, they don't know any difference. So instead of teaching them that that, that that sky up there is an actual solid structure, nah, nah, we won't do that, they're too stupid. So what we're gonna do is teach them that they're living on a ball floating through a vacuum. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's better. I mean, come on, just just the common sense dictates. That's just downright stupid. Okay, so 
so the the that's the uh, doctrine of accommodation where 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 the father accommodates to the stupidity of of the alleged stupidity of his own people. Uh, so so when you read scripture literally, the empirical evidence of that reading comes alive. Like like for instance, uh, when you read the uh, creation of the ark, it gives you absolute detail on how the ark was created, absolute detail. When you read the creation of, of the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant, okay, you have all these absolute details on how it was created. But when you read Psalms, it's, it's obvious that, that those are poems and songs specifically designed to, to share with you the nature of Yah, okay, and his will for you. It's obvious. It's, it's, it's not that hard, really. But we're taught to look the opposite way, okay? Um, I love this, this uh, statement when people say, oh, Satan and man has, has, has controlled the Bible and, and changed it and, and made it into something that it isn't. So you can't really trust it. I completely disagree with that because Satan is not God, all right? And I'm pretty sure Yahweh can control the integrity of his own word, all right? But what Satan did do is since he can't control scripture, which he really wish he could, since he can't, he taught us to read Yah's word his way, okay? And that's where the non-literal, the flip, flipped around meaning of scripture comes from. Uh, so, so when you read, let me just tell you this one story. I, for the life of me, I cannot remember where, the, where I read this article. I'm going to find it though, um, when it talked about um, the fall of Jericho. So when you read scripture literally, and you read the fall of Jericho, which was just a phenomenal account of, of uh, history. And I don't call them stories, I call them events because scripture is history. Um, and, and that realization comes from reading it literally. So this female archeologist looked for um, the, um, the walls of Jericho and she couldn't find it. And so she said, well, it's a fantasy. It's just a little story, a fable, like Aesop's fables or whatever. Um, so it's, it's, it's not real. But then some years later, this, this gentleman um, archeologist decided to look in the same spot, dig in the same spot she dug. He dug a little deeper and he not only found the wall of Jericho, he found that there was only one tower left standing. Only one tower, bam, empirical evidence. The fall of Jericho actually happened. And he said that the wall fell down flat. Okay, exactly the way scripture said. So when you read scripture literally and you have the trust because the relationship, I'm running out, I'm out of time. Okay. The relationship with Yah will, will, will bring that to life when you are determined to give his word a chance and read it literally. It just opens up your whole view of his word. All right. Good job, guys. And uh, my next question for you is give me the best truth that nobody is talking about. Now, 
if you want to substitute the word truth for conspiracy theory or uh, truth or subject, if, you know, truth with a capital T makes you uncomfortable, but best truth that nobody is talking about. Go. You know, I thought about this question a lot, Noel, and I'm going to have to, it's not something that people aren't talking about, something that they've forgotten about. So, and it's a very uncomfortable subject and one that would definitely get us banned. Sure. So I'm going to have to phrase it properly. And it's not an, you know, it's very uncomfortable for most believers, truthers to even study or look into. But it has, it does deal with the, the war on our children, deals with the elites and what's happening there. Now, probably people in your world, Noel, your blog writing, some of the things that you'll talk about, an unexpected cosmology, maybe in your blog sections, you will talk about these things. Most people don't, and, and they've been banned on Facebook, YouTube, all pretty much all over. It's the very thing that brought us the word fake news. If people don't know, <clears throat> you know, we, we saw this word called fake news come into play. And, you know, we think, well, fake news is this, that, the other. Fake news stems from the, the John Podesta leaked emails which gave us Zelephantus, gave us all these other code words, right? I can't keep saying things that we're going to get blocked on um, YouTube if, if we continue down that path. But you, you notice we, we can't talk about these things on, on YouTube. Um, there, nobody talks about them. You're really tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. Um, when major people came out and talked about them, a lot of people died, they, they were murdered, they were killed. Um, so uncomfortably, nobody speaks on these things. Whether it be because you get labeled instantly a nut job, you know, when we talk about all of these different specific subjects dealing, you know, that definitely have their hands in satanic ritual abuse, which have their hands in um, pedophilia, have their hands in... Um, um, rituals, some really deep stuff, adrenochrome, right? All these different things, right? It goes down such a path of uncertainty in all different ways, yet you hear nobody really talking about it anymore. You know, we've moved on to uh, mainstream politics, transgenderism, we've, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, everybody's onto different things, Flat Earth, we're onto Torah, we're onto this, we're onto that, we have this conspiracy, that conspiracy, 9-11, uh, you know, some even 9-11 doesn't get the, 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 the buzz talked about like it did for so many different years, right? You know, Flat Earth came in and took those all those things away, but it was really the, the thing that caused so much stir cause fake news right you know we we had um uh, spirit cooking being aired on fox news right before the election and absolutely do nothing uh in regards of exposing the evil that was happening so i will tell you that there is a deep dark world most of us already understand nobody is really truly talking about it because when you do censored you're removed 
or even you're put onto list almost instantaneously. And there's a very good reason for that. Michael Aquino and all his weird cults and all the other things that are centered around stuff, it's real and it's not going away. And it's just becoming way more underground, almost to a point to where they're back not even hiding their faces any longer. All right, over to you, Michael. Your microphone is still on. Sorry about that. Uh, one of the subjects I think is very um, ignored um, and passed over in churches are uh, the spiritual gifts. And the part that I find very interesting is that anything that is a gift from the Most High should be taken very seriously, um, especially something titled spiritual gifts is specifically given to us for a reason. And that is to, um, to, to actuate and to live the mission that he has for us on this earth. I mean, after salvation, why don't we just leave, okay? Because he has a mission for us and those gifts are there to empower us and give us what the tools that we need, uh, be they teaching tools or weapons, to teach and to fight. And those gifts are, are pretty much ignored. I mean, you get the Pentecostals that get into prophecy and tongues inaccurately, I might add, um, and they put a lot of emphasis on tongues. And, and, and I'm not saying tongues doesn't exist. There's no evidence that it stopped, okay? But there's a protocol in scripture that 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 goes with the manifestation of tongues but that but a similar protocol goes for all the spiritual gifts and they need to not only be acknowledged but encouraged and taught um you don't need to be taught a spiritual gift you're born with it um now here's the interesting part spiritual gifts are so powerful that they manifest they, and, and I shudder to use that word because there's a lot of cults and stuff that use the word manifest, but it does fit, okay? Um, they manifest even if you're not saved. Now, that doesn't mean you use them in the way that they're designed to be used, but I have found that spiritual gifts, you can actually see them poking through a person even though they're not saved. And I'm talking some pretty carnal people. Like, for instance, there are several comedians that seem to have the gift of prophecy, okay? And you can see it peeking out, and you're like, hey, wait a minute. I, I mean, this guy has got a potty mouth, but there's something about him that's familiar. And then when you read the requirements of that gift, you say, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think this guy has a spiritual gift of prophecy, but he doesn't know it. But the gifts are so powerful that they seem that they just leak out of your pores and you don't even know it. Um, and so spiritual gifts are a powerful tool for us and they're not being taught and they're being shunned. And there's a reason why, because if we did acknowledge them for the power that they are and, and the, the necessary tool that we need to, um, 
to live on this world and be the light that we should be and to give evil a hard time, then the world would have a problem, okay? And so the enemy just makes spiritual gifts irrelevant. It doesn't matter. So all you need to do is love, okay? So all the gifts are put under a bushel and no one even knows what they're born with. And the other part of that is this, in order to acknowledge what spiritual gifts are, you have to have the type of relationship with Yah where it's a personal relationship, okay? And I mean intimately personal where you're talking to him and yes, he's talking to you. Now, mind you, he's God, so he can talk in many different ways, but you will hear, hear him loud and clear and he will train you in those spiritual gifts one way or another. Okay, so so spiritual with spiritual gifts comes that further, deeper relationship with Yah. And so I think that in order for us to be more effective out here, especially in this garbage that's happening today, we need to acknowledge those gifts. All right, thank you. So I'm gonna set my timer here. When I asked you guys that question, I was originally going to talk about the JFK assassination in the Zapruder film and how the Zapruder film has been shown to be a composite film, right? Which means it's faked. It was faked. It was, it was a Hollywood production, which leads us to conclude. And I could show that, that there is evidence to show that he was never assassinated to begin with. And you can take people through all this. And at the end of that, they can say, okay, I can see how it's a composite film. I can see how they, it, it was studio effects, but uh, what about the second shooter? It's like, <laughs> Right. But but something happened this week uh, that made me divert what I want to be talked about. And that is on the Titanic, because everybody knows about the Titan that went down and imploded. Uh, the 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 founder of the company and the people in there, the rich people are, are dead, supposedly. And here's here's the thing that the, the true the world does not talk about. They were really big on this idea that the Titanic was taken down to take out these dudes who were opposed to the Federal Reserve. You know, they, they had to take down this big ship instead of just having some thug go up and assassinate him in the street, you know, have him jump off a bridge, whatever, you know, that kind of thing, right? They, they didn't do that. They elaborate scheme to take down the Titanic. Well, my opinion on this is that Nothing is at the bottom of the ocean. The Titanic went safely to Halifax. We have the newspapers that reported it. Uh, I am not of the the view that a sister ship was at the uh, the Olympic, I think it is, was swapped and they took that down. No, I'm saying that there is nothing at the bottom of the water. And this ties into the news this week. And nobody is talking about this. All right. So let's with the with the with the couple minutes I have left, let me take you through this. The reason why that it took him like seventy, the Titanic went down in 1912. It was discovered in 1985. Do the math on that, close to like 70 years or something like that. The reason why it was never found is because its last coordinates, people went diving down there for years and they didn't find anything. So that's a huge problem. So they had to move it somewhere else, and then they immediately bring in the World Heritage Site to to hands off. You can't go to it. They bring in James Cameron, a filmmaker, to go see it. And then they bring in, oh, the guy who discovered it was Navy Intel, by the way. Then they bring in Buzz Aldrin to go down there, I think in a yellow submarine of all things. So anytime you bring Buzz, so Buzz Aldrin, let me count, count up the ways. He went to the moon, he went to the South Pole, he went to the Titanic. 
So anytime they bring in Buzz Aldrin, it's to sell you on a fictional location that does not exist. Then they found a killer bacteria down there that they promised would, that, that has not been found anywhere else in the world, just exclusive to the Titanic. It is a super bacteria that will completely eat up the Titanic within like another less than 10 years at this point. Um, and never mind the fact that they found a little girl's leather shoes down there, things like that. You know, they were able to bring up uh, the, the bacteria didn't eat that. Um, and you, you can go on and on and on and on. My whole opinion is that these were crisis actors. The Titanic was only a third filled. Um, it, it, yeah, crisis actors. They all have these stories. And when you start looking at them, the historians don't know what to make of this because they're like, none of these stories line up. The same guy was seen here, here, and here at different times. That's impossible. And all these people are claiming and they're all, you know, and so you just... You know, truthers today, they don't, they, they know about crisis actors. They know these psyops, these, uh, these drills go on and all this kind of stuff, but they don't think it happened a hundred years ago. hundred, it's like, no, no, this has been ongoing for a very, very long time. It goes all the way back to the 1800s. And, uh, oh, I got another minute to talk about that. So, uh, that's my big thing. I, the, the reason why the Titan, as soon, as soon as they, they, this rich guy, I don't remember his name at the moment. As soon as he just declares that he's going to start taking private tours down there i'm like okay they're they're pulling another moon landing because they've been doing this with the moon right like oh we're going to go to mars we're going to we've lost the technology to go to the moon we're going to go to mars um and you know, we're, we're going to create these space elevators and we're going to you have these space restaurants and space hotels and they announce this stuff nothing ever comes with it of it and then they start landing people on the dark side of the moon and telling you that even they don't have the technology to get it on because they crash or whatever and i'm like they're going to do something similar to the titanic what do they do the first, uh, the first sub that goes down there, a little private tour, implodes. And James Cameron comes out with a video this week and saying, basically along the lines, that it was like immoral what he did. Like, we're not to do this. We're, we are not to go down there and see it. And I'm like, this is exactly the plan. They want us to, you know, they want us to uh, stop asking questions as to why nobody can go down there. They want to show like, like you're going to die if you go down there. This is not for you. That's my five minutes. That's my um, that's my truth that nobody's talking about. So I think we're back to you, Chris. Well, hey, up um, that new blog with all that new information as soon as you can. Okay, no, that's that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a whole paper. I have a whole paper on the Titanic, but I, I haven't. I haven't updated it yet. I probably will really well with the Titan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's what that's that update. Okay, so I'm on to my last question, and my question. <clears throat> um, we've talked a lot about defense of the scriptures, defense of creation. Um, what is your best evidence for the existence of a creator? So if somebody was to ask you, why do you believe, Michael, you've said it multiple times, proving God is easy. Mm -hmm. Prove it. Okay, set my timer. All right, um, my, my best proof to, for the creator is his creation. Uh, is his creation, I mean, like the scripture talks about the dome and, and how it is a testament of his creation um and, and how he has created everything 
I mean, that's a horrible paraphrase, but that's that's the gist of it. And when you look at creation, um, especially when you compare it to Earth's um, secular science, uh, when you compare it to secular science, it does not hold up to scrutiny. Secular science has so many holes in it. It looks like somebody hit it with a Tommy gun. I mean, it's it's pathetic. And but when you look at, but when you compare it to um, the actual account in Scripture, it doesn't work. Especially when if you made a list in in how the how the universe was created uh, in the heliocentric model, and then how the Earth was created in in Genesis, they are literally completely opposite. Okay, so you have a choice to make. Um, which one will you believe? Well, most people, most sensible people are going to believe the one with evidence. Okay, the only reason most people say heliocentrism has all the evidence on their side is because they were taught that since childhood. And they were taught this makes sense. Therefore, you must believe it or you be a moron. All right. But when you look at biblical, cosmology it it has tons of empirical evidence that blows the uh heliocentrism away so so my answer to that is one of the things that one of the uh evidences that i use to prove that the earth i mean that yahweh actually does exist is his creation itself now mind you that's that can be a tough one too because you're asking people to ignore the fact they landed on the moon and, and that we live on a spinning ball and, and all that sort of thing. So, so that's, that's one of the things that I used to prove that. Now I don't go straight to flat earth. I, I, I touch on um, subjects that will lead them to that. Like, um, did they really land on the moon? Is the earth really um, uh, what they say it is? Um, can you explain gravity to me? Can you measure it? If you can, please show me a machine that can do that. Okay. So all of this leads to a creator because when you talk about enclosed cosmology, the logical assumption is someone made this place. Okay. It blows evolution completely out of the water because if you get this, this, this huge plane with this giant dome over it, that's not something that just happened. So logically, someone had to make it, and that's why people find it very difficult to believe and and to accept enclosed cosmology. But that is one of the things that that I use to prove his existence, and I I speak it in a way that that is palatable, and that depends on who I'm talking to, when I'm talking to them, what they're going through at the time, that sort of thing. So, so it's all prefaced on those um, traits. And I don't just jump right into, hey, Earth's flat, dude, this is my proof. No, I will move them into it based on, on our conversation. Like for instance, I was in the Uber um, and, and the guy was a Muslim. I said, hmm, okay, Muslims are really known for their study. 
So then I told him about Genesis. I said, you do know the sun in, in Genesis, the earth came before the sun, right? He's like, oh, yeah, what? You know, so he's, I'm going to go back and study that. Bam, gotcha. All right. So I'm not trying to make them. I'm not trying to convert them right then and there. My goal is to crack that veneer. I want to make them doubt what they believe. Then let the Holy Spirit do the rest. But his creation is a big tool that I use to show the existence of Yah. All right. So back in the day, like 20 something years ago, I used to volunteer for a short time at Cal State Long Beach uh, in the English department for the foreign students who came in who wanted to feel comfortable speaking English and they just wanted someone to talk to. And this is my first time I was a young 20 something year old and I was encountering a lot of atheists coming in, particularly from like Japan, China, a lot of the Chinese, particularly uh, just almost always they were atheists. And I would talk to them and, and, and I would say, okay, so right here in front of us, we have a table. Would you agree that this, that, a carpenter made this and like, yeah. And then there'd be a Coke can and say, okay, so that came from the, the Coke factory, right? He's like, yeah. And I'd say, okay, we got a roof over us here. Uh, so this was, you know, a construction crew put, came and put this up, right? And be like, of course. You think I'm an idiot? Of course. I'd be like, okay, so you walk outside, you see the trees and the grass and you're saying that nothing created that? And he'd be like, he would just like me blank face. <laughs> like, like, he'd be like, you know, there was just a total, a disconnect, a total compartmentalism, like cognitive dissonance. He couldn't, he couldn't get it. So here's the thing: creation demands a creator, life demands a life giver, law demands a lawgiver, and design demands a designer. So, the human body alone. Uh, somebody said in the comment section, I think it was John. He said, "We are the greatest proof of a creator. The human beings are the most complex organisms on the plane in our realm, involving billions of microscopic parts, each of which." Uh, has its own identity, working together in really, I guess, in an organized matter that, for the benefit of the total being, you know, our, to make up our, our soul. And then, of course, we have our ruach. Take the brain. The brain is the body's most complex organ. I think there's something like uh, 86 billion neurons in the human brain, all of which, you know, forms these circuits and they share information. It's incredible. Uh, how that you know communicates uh, with our body and then you get something like the human eye right here uh, which is capable of absorbing uh, and instantly processing more than 10 millions of information per second i'm sorry 10 million pieces of information per second and it works just like a movie camera right you would go and if you saw a movie camera you'd say of course a, a, a movie camera guy built that uh, there was there was somebody originally edison and his crew but somebody came along and created that but then you look at our eye which can uh, pick up something like 60 frames per second and see in super hd and so on and so forth oh no that's all evolved it's like seriously like okay and then, then we have we each have our own unique dna code uh, our dna if it was unraveled apparently would stretch 67 billion miles long um, and every single one of us, our human DNA code is unique that nobody else has. You have a 67 billion miles long, unique strand that makes up who you are. And there is no way that has evolved. That is total proof of a creator. Uh, the, the one I like to point out is the human family. 
the intimacy between a man and a woman and the child uh, if for me is the, the the human family as above so below as uh, on earth as it is in heaven uh, the fact that i don't know how you guys feel about this but you know i i advocate the ruach HaKadosh is feminine you have the, the father the mother and then the the child yahushua hamashiach and so adam and eve were supposed to model the same thing so when we model families here which uh the the governments uh and uh, psyops and all sorts of things that for years have been trying to break up, uh, that create more crime, more immorality. But when we have a family together, a nuclear family, the father, the mother, and the child, that is more proof of the creator. We are in the image of the creator when we do that. How am I doing on time? Okay. So I like the way you originally phrased the question, uh, Chris, that you said uh, your top apologetics for the bible as well it could be either the bible or, or existence of a creator so let me with the couple of minutes i have left let me talk about why i believe the bible is legit all over the world you see in every historical basically culture you have stories of the flood the tower of babel the sun standing still that's everywhere uh, from uh, from joshua uh, giants these are as i said these are told by cultures all over the world uh, and, and these same cultures will include the worship of the serpents. That's not a coincidence. The serpent is real. It's worshiped by our elite. How anybody could look, be, you know, to wake up and look around and see that our, our controllers don't worship Satan. Like that, it, there's proof right there that Satan is real. All right. Here's something that I love though. The watchers, the watchers are real too. And all over the world, you see these watchers, they come down, they're, they're talked about, you can see them in France, uh, in, in India, America, they, they showed up, South America, they showed up everywhere. And the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, and, and by that I include the Book of Enoch, is the only one that exposes them for who they truly are and their true agenda. Um, now, many will claim that the Bible is just a knockoff of the mystery religions, and that will cause them to fall uh, astray. Unfortunately, they have failed the test. They have failed, failed to see what the watchers did. All right. Um, and people are free to believe that the Bible is just a knockoff. I don't. Now, the thing is, is that Enoch actually gives credence to all these different religions. Pro the problem with Christianity is they believe that they have a monopoly on answered prayer and miracles. Uh, you could. The fact is, is that there are many gods or many Elohim. People pray to them. They have their prayers answered. They have miracles that happen in the name of those gods. Anyone could choose those gods. Uh, I choose Yahushua HaMashiach as my savior. And of course, um, the son of the most high Elim. Uh, I believe that he is the only way to the father. Uh, but the thing, the thing is, is that all what happened with the watchers is that, uh, they create these mystery religions. They brought down the mysteries of heaven, right? Who says that? He says, you brought the, the mysteries of heaven. They set up all these mystery schools. So you have all these different religions trying to monopolize on these concepts and these ideas, some which they might get right, some which they might get wrong. The problem is, is that none of them are interested in Yahuwah's instructions and in righteous living. And many have tried to go down to Sheol to raise the dead. Yahushua HaMashiach is the one that literally went down. He actually did it. And of course, you know, he raised himself. So, um, and let me just say one more point. I went over, I apologize, but I, I'm going to take, I, I, I've been saving time. So I'm, I'm cashing in a couple of minutes here. Uh, the, here's one of the number one, I want to go back to the worship of the serpent. Satan needs the Bible to accuse. People say all the time, well, no, how do you know that the Torah hasn't been rewritten? How do you know it's fake? It's not faked or whatever that they, you know, scrubbed it. Well, here's the thing. He needs the Torah so that he can tell us, he can tell you not to obey it. He gives it to you. And then he says, guess what? God doesn't want you to obey that anymore. He's done away with it. He, he and disobeying that is actually honoring him. 
And then he can accuse you of it. Why? Because the instructions are right there. It says, obey this. And now you have listened to the serpents and you have dropped the, you have dropped your guard and you have disobeyed the commands. If he were to do away with the Bible, then he couldn't inflict maximum damage. We would have ignorance. We wouldn't, we would not be in violation because we would not have the law given to us. So that's my reason for why Satan, it does him the most good to give us the Bible, to give us the creation account, give us the Torah and say, all this is stupid. Don't believe any of this. And that does him the most uh, maximum damage. All right, handing it back over. Well, both of you, great job. There was a man, his name was Charles Templeton. Ever seen a, there was a movie called Case for Christ. And most people who were once believers who became atheists, it all starts with this basic question. If there's a God, why would God allow evil to happen to good people, right? So we, we hear this constantly, right? I'm going to say the existence of creator is in that. <laughs> it's evil. It's the evilness. If you know, if the things that I've seen, you know, working with and being around spiritual warfare ministries, putting on our events or conferences, living living these things within in in my lifetime, we know that he is true. Because Satan has revealed himself time and time and time again, whether it be physical manifestations that we have seen with our eyes. And most people don't experience this, right? Everything that we see on Netflix and, and TVs about all these satanic um, possessions, right? We see all these movies, all this demonic activity we see all out throughout Hollywood. People go, ultimately, you know, that uh, I know so many atheists who believe in ghosts. They believe in the spiritual world. We're going, wait a minute, hold on. You, you're an atheist, but you believe in a spiritual world? Um, are you not pick, getting this? I have a neighbor who lives next door to me who's a ghost hunter. Literally has been scratched on the arms hunting these ghosts that we know are demons that come out through the cold when his devices read them and the room gets cold they physically scratch them and him and his crew he's had scratches on his face his neck his arms seen demons manifest in people we know that this is actually occurring and happening as much as as satan wants to pretend that he that yahweh doesn't exist he does such a disjustice to that by revealing himself continually. And so I believe the, the, the realm of this evil that is happening to these good people is that existence of God himself, right? It is throughout that whole, you know, evil feels, if there's an evil side, there's a counterpart to that. All of nature has that balance, and I believe just, and that's a simple, right? We don't have to get very detailed in there. Experiences as believers, you know, we may, we go, we know he's real because of our relationship. Michael knows he's real because of the experiences he's had. Why, I will say this, Michael has most 
unshakable faith in the Most High of, of more than almost any man that I've ever met based upon his experiences of God walking hand in hand with him and revealing himself to him over and over and again. Now, if you're not a believer, you won't experience that. But you do see and experience these other things. We have seen this. We have seen it time and time again. Um, Satan screwed up and he messed up one time. Um, and we caught it on tape. Actually, we actually have audio tape, Satan manifesting on, not this phone, but another phone of mine. And I was actually doing, um, you, if you want the full story, uh, Nathan Reynolds, if you guys are friends with Nathan, um, and he wrote a book called Snatch Through the Flames, he was able to prevent, present um, Satan's manifestation that came through my phone while talking about revelations and him coming down like fire on a flat plane. And as I read those passages and those verses while recording on my phone, a satanic manifestation happened, recorded it. Um, I will tell you guys, um, many people have looked at the information, many people looked at it. Um, iPhone companies, everybody, um, dumbfounded, never has happened. Google searches, I won't go into it here, but um, I believe the existence of God is revealed in this world simply because Satan exists and, he, and we see him existing. Now, obviously, there's so much more apologetics to that, but I would leave it at that. Just to summarize and add something to what these guys have already said. Thank you. All right, Michael, I think you have your last question. You're still muted. Sorry about that. Okay, my last question is, should believers actively fight the evil of the day? And when I say that, I mean, however that fight needs to be done in whatever situation, all the garbage that's going on today, should we be involved in that and, and defend the word and those and, and the innocent? All right. So my response to that is, and I, I think that the key there is how you just said it, that, you know, that there's, there's, however, in that situation, right? So this is what's hard, because I can't give a, a clear response on this. And I'll get I'll give one example. Uh, so in Matthew 24, Mashiach's warning uh, was to head to the hills, uh, when, you know, the abomination of desolation happens. And of course, you know, i I am of the opinion that that panned out in 70 AD, and you see that the Romans pulled up to Jerusalem, they pulled away, they gave you just enough time for all of Mashiach's uh, followers or anybody there who remembered that warning to go, we're out of here. They got out, and those who didn't, who stuck around to fight uh, the Romans, it did not end well for them. It was a very, very ugly time in Jerusalem up until its total slaughter and destruction. I mean, I think there were accounts of cannibalism in there, and you know, people like hiding, like eating jewels, and the people would kill people and rip them open, and it was just ugly. It was terrible, terrible time. And so here you have an account of where Yahushua's like. Uh, sometimes we think maybe the it, you know, you could be fighting the injustice of the Romans coming. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is judgment. This is judgment coming. Get out of there. Get out of the judgment. All right. So there's one example there. Now, 
all three of us here, and in fact, those who are listening, I think will also agree that we are, uh, we want to spread truth, right? This is one of the ways we combat evil. So we are, we want to personally engage the evil. We want to personally uh, fight against the powers of darkness on this earth by waking people up and trying, not just waking them up, but we want to encourage them to live a life of holiness of living as you know encourage them to live a set apart life that those are the only people that satan is truly at war with according to revelation those who um are set apart uh for yahushua hamashiach and of course you know any kind of greater war is trying to keep uh, people away from that right so um when it comes to i i opened with that because as soon as we start getting into more nationalistic things, that's kind of where I take a hands-off approach. And um, like, you know, let's look at this on a case-by-case basis. I think in modern terms uh, with Yerushalayim in 70 AD might be like on a much more smaller scale, but we all watched it with the Capitol riot. And uh, what was it, 20. 21. I, I've lost track of time now. Uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, it was like a day of infamy. It was like January something or other. I don't remember the date, but the White House sure reminds us all the time. And that was a big setup. Like, you know what? You had the, you had the oh, one five. Is that it? Uh, whatever. Whatever. When you, you can remind me. Of. But it was a bit, it was a big setup. You had the, the, the director of the CIA in the crowd. You had uh, the, the Proud Boys. Almost all of them were infiltrated, their leaders, by like the FBI and other groups. And they were led in there like lambs to the slaughter. You know, they all thought they were a part of something. And, and um, you know, I, the, 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 the woman who was shot in there, you could look her up. She was intel. In fact, a lot of the people were, they were intel. And it's like, I don't even believe any of that. But then you see these people apparently go to prison and that kind of stuff. And so this is where I'm just like, this is where, from that perspective, I'm of the, um, the, the, the revolution that I advocate is one of noncompliance, uh, not to go out there and to, uh, you know, go up to the steps of a Capitol building and scream at them, but actually noncompliance, like, you know, I'm not going to take the the uh the sippy sip you know that kind of stuff and um anyways i don't know how much time i have but i think that answered that well enough i think we're on to chris now yeah so revelation fourteen twelve. uh this is the the call of patience or endurance or those that keep commandments of yahweh through the testimony of Yeshua. This is what rages war with, with Hasatan, right? This is, is, as Noel said, this is exactly what it does. Um, only through, right? It, it's, 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 uh, it's a dual system. It isn't just obedience, blind obedience. It isn't um, Judaism keeping, keeping Torah, denying Messiah. And it's surely not churches believing in Yeshua while denying love and obedience through following his commandments. That, that's how we first and foremost do it. A lot of truthers come into this thinking, we're going to fight evil by setting up YouTube channels and we're going to fight evil by voting. We're going to fight evil by that or the other. Oh, maybe good things, right? I would say this. I'm not against um, 
all forms of voting, right? Some voting I've seen, I've seen um, statewide actually achieve things. We live in Ohio. Because of how people vote in Ohio, we have been able to obtain religious, philosophical, and medical exemptions for the protection of our children in regards of things that get stuck into our children's bodies. Going to the, you know, if I say the word, we get, we get banned. Um, that all has stemmed from the way that we do vote. Now, we all know elections are rigged, people are selected, right? We know all these things. But can we make fights and battles in small areas politically? Sure. Is that where we should spend our attentions? No. Um, it definitely needs to be in obedience, in walking these things out, and through love, reaching the world. Because, because we're here to build a kingdom. We're not here just to fight evil. Fighting evil um, is a byproduct of kingdom building because we need to come against, like we have, flat earth. We're coming against scientism. We're coming against evil. We're going to attack it. We're going to come against the truth of um, the lies of this world so that others can see that. But is it to just be right, right? Are, uh, are we going to reveal this truth so that we can say, look at us, we know more than you. Uh, are we going to know more about Torah than the next person and be like Gnostics? At the end of the day, those are battles within evil, right? We know that evil has inf infiltrated every part of it. So it's our intentions. It's how we do things. And um, so the answer is, of course, we should be fighting evil. But how should we be doing it properly through those means of Revelation 14, 12, that endurance, the patience of these saints, while we fight this battle through working out the commandments, through our testimony in Yeshua, and through that process, we're automatically in that war, that that spiritual war, which it's a spiritual war rather than just a physical war. Physical fights will happen, they will occur. Michael knows that, but it's all because of the spiritual realm that we are fighting. So if we're not if we're not putting on the spiritual armor every day, we're not in his word, we're not we're not actively engaging our family we're not doing this we're not doing that we've already lost the battle so why are you even trying to fight something that you've already powerless to win when you've been rubbing up on demons all week and to think you can go and fight them they already know you you've already lost that was great both of you that was great the reason i asked this question is because i meet a lot of christians who a lot of believers who feel that, hey, the battle's been won on the cross and there's no need for us to do any fighting, so we just need to wait for the kingdom and just let evil run slipshod over everything. Believe it or not, I actually meet people that actually say that. Um, very few things get my goat, and that's one of them. Uh, first and foremost, our most powerful weapon is prayer, our relationship our one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Messiah, I mean, yeah, with the Messiah, with the Father, first and foremost, because that is our influence, and that influence terrifies the scum elite. It terrifies their master, Satan, okay? So intercessory prayer against darkness, first and foremost. Now, when that spiritual warfare, oh, by 
by the way, I know you've heard of people or, or even know people, their specialty is intercessory prayer. Those people are extremely crucial and, and much can be learned from them. Um, but the spiritual armor in Ephesians 6 is something that needs to be taken very, very seriously. First and foremost, if we aren't wearing that armor, that metaphorical armor that gives us actual literal power, not only offensively, but defensively, both. Because I have met a lot of Christians that say, oh, that's purely offensive. No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's purely defensive. It's also offensive as well. So first and foremost, we need to learn how to use that armor and put it on every day. That is a discipline and a vigilance that we must have. Also, once that happens, okay, then these scriptures come into play. Expose evil, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Okay, that's Ephesians 5.11. That's just before uh, Ephesians 6 with the spiritual armor. Also, overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by the evil, but overcome evil with good. That's Romans 12.21. Resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Um, actually, I think I wrote that down wrong. Res submit to God, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. So it's that submission that gives you that power. Okay, now that spiritual warfare, which in and of itself is, is pretty violent when you really get into it, okay? In and of itself will lead to sometimes physical manifestation of that war. And that's another thing a lot of Christians don't understand. I have lived that physical manifestation after I have given myself to the Father, after I've given myself to a life of obedience, trying my best, perfect hardly, but trying my best to obey him and do his will. And, and a physical manifestation of fighting evil has occurred in my life on many, many occasions. Now, how does that show up today? Okay, you have these people attacking our babies, attacking our children, okay, by teaching them horrible lessons in school and teaching them that, that they can change who they are with the snap of a finger, change their very nature. These people must, we must stand against them with the word of the Father. And standing against them can manifest itself in different ways. Go, go to a council meeting. And, and speak the truth or speak the truth to the people that's doing the attacking, okay? And maybe they will turn their life over to Christ. So, so I'll end it with, yes, we must fight evil. And the way to do that is first, spiritually. Second, make a stand. And, and I love what Noel said where, where we defy the rules and regulations that they tried to put on us. And we simply do not conform, okay? Under, and, and, and when we do that, the Holy Spirit will take care of us, okay? That's where the relationship comes in. So we don't have to be afraid not to conform. So yes, we, while we're here building the kingdom, part of that is protecting the kingdom that we're building through his power. 
All right. Well, I think I have the last question of the night. And uh, Chris, if if you need to go get a meal, you are free to go get a meal. Uh, or just... I'll have to put my kids to sleep. So I will be able to stay that. I may be able to come back for some of these questions. There's some great ones, but I may have to run too. It all depends on how the wife is feeling after watching the kids for two straight hours. So Okay. All right. Well, this is the last question. Uh, so best flat earth proof, go. Right, that's to me. So I get the easy one. I get the I get the really easy one because I get to start off with the very basics, right? The very the you know, um, which I could give, right? I, I mean, we can go really detail. Water. I mean, we come back to water. Um, water is, I mean, not only water biblically is so vastly important. Water in this case, if we're just going to talk about what water does. We know what the the very scientific aspects of water. Um, water seeks its own level, right? We know these very simple basics, but water will, um, in this regards, because of that, it tells us what the topography of the Earth is actually underneath it. It tells us. It fill. It fills up, right? The Earth is not. Um, it's full of cavities, it's full of uh, dips and valleys and hills and holes and all sorts of things. But that water always will smooth that out. Always come back to that flat level. Water is, is clearly the easiest proof. When people ask, why do you believe in a flat earth? Well, one, water. We see too far over the water. You know, I, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm going to let Michael, what Michael does best. You know, Michael, Michael destroys these things because he's a 3D animator photographer who does all these experiments. And that's why I work with him, because he does this all this stuff. But water, water is that very first proof. Everybody needs to understand the basics of water, understand the, the horizon test, understand these things. So when we're looking at it from a flat earth perspective, right, a plain earth we can look at that you know and the same goes for radio frequencies is that things that shouldn't work on a on a ball earth because it requires two things to speak to each other right uh just like in regards of a horizon a flat horizon you can see far on one side um to radio frequencies where we can go so many distances out and the only way that frequency can work from one place to the other is that a straight line is actually occurring it's not bending around a curve you know going miles away um lighthouses everything you know here so my my best proof only proof we really need to understand that besides a biblical realm is is um our point of view our sights all of these things prove that the earth is not a spinning globe. It's it, There is no such thing as eight inches squared per mile. All of these fake numbers that are, are made up um, to reveal that they're lying about that. So if the earth isn't flat and it's a curved earth, either this place is either really big, and that eight inches squared per mile is so far skewed that we can't actually put that to test because to test it 
would be so ginormous and there's no way for us to do it. So we're only looking uh, at all of our tests. Everything will look flat, but the Earth is, is a ball. The only thing that they could actually come back and say, don't. They still continue to hold to the Copernican, uh, the 24,000, you know, circumference Earth. They're going to hold to those truths when all of those things fall so completely flat. So at the end of the day, we see too far, water proves it, it is, it's flat. All right, Michael. Okay. Um, it's best to keep stuff like this really, really simple because you can talk about all types of uh, uh, different scientific terms and people get lost in that. And that's a good thing to do when you're doing something exhaustive um, and, and extensive. But let's just keep it real simple. What Chris was talking about with the way water re reacts to a container, um, that's all based on curvature. And the best proof that I think for um, proving enclosed cosmology, pro proving a flat Earth opposed to a globe is the lack of curvature. Um, so that's really easy to determine. The problem is that once you show it, it's hard for people to believe it because of the preconditioning. So um, simple, uh, like lighthouses, for instance. Okay, so you get a lighthouse and, and, and according to the enclosed cos cosmology um, fable, you're going to need a lot of lighthouses and you're basically going to need to build islands on top of the water in order to um, support all these various lighthouses to accommodate that curve. Yet, that's not what happens. Now, here's what's interesting. You have the, the um, what we call in photography, light fall off. So as the light goes to a source, second. Okay, so you, so, so you have a flash here, all right? So as the light travels from the source, or not travels, light doesn't travel, it radiates. So as the light radiates from the source out, the further it gets from the source, it loses power, okay? It loses luminance. It gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer very quickly, all right? So the more power you have, the long, the, the, the brighter that light will be over distance, okay? So that's called the inverse square law, all right? But I won't get into that, but uh, photography terms are simpler. Light fall off, the luminance of the light, the brightness of the light becomes dimmer as it travels away. So therefore, um, according to the heliocentric model, that lighthouse should not be able to be seen hundreds, literally hundreds of miles away. That is not possible on the heliocentric model. So curvature can easily prove that the Earth is flat. It's just based on who's willing to understand it. I mean, accept that truth. One more thing. So with this, okay, with this, this camera that can be bought at Best Buy, you can prove that the earth is flat due to the lack of curvature. Also, you have to remember the um, vanishing point. The human eye cannot see, okay, you know when you do have a railroad track and you see how the railroad tracks at a distance merge, that's called a vanishing point. 
The human eye cannot see past that vanishing point. There is a, 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 a specific limit to that, okay? So to, to claim that, that when you're showing the flat earth, okay, that vanishing point becomes very apparent, all right? So, so I don't want to take my full time because I went overtime the last time, but the lack of curvature is, is so elemental. Um, I'm sorry, elementary, all right? It's a very simple way of proving there is no curvature because you can perceive it easily. All right, I'll try to make this quick as well. Uh, I actually have a few here to go over real quick. I want to cover water always seeking its own level. And just to cover on that again, the Suez Canal in Egypt runs for 100 miles. It goes from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean. And there are there are uh, no locks in this canal. That's what's really important here. And there should be an elevated round hump of, I think, 1,666 uh, feet at the midpoint of the canal. And of course, that proves of the flatness there. Uh, the here's another, here's another fun one is gas must be kept in a closed container. And this, again, points to the firmament. Actually, the movie Spaceballs is what gave it away. If you remember the ending to the movie Spaceballs, they created like a, they were making fun of Star Wars, but they had a, the, a was it a super, uh, the, the maid with the vacuum cleaner, what was her name? Mega maid or something like that. And she goes up and they go up to the planet that uh, the princess is supposed to get married to that. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie, that, that really sleepy prince, but uh, she escapes anyways. They go and they open up a window in the firmament. And the vacuum cleaner goes up. They're like, suck, sucks. And it sucks out all the the uh, the air and everything. That's the the plant. So they're actually telling you in the movie that it had a, the reason why the air didn't get out is because there's a closed container and they opened up the window of the firmament. We're able to suck it out of the vacuum cleaner. Thank you, John Q, for being on that with the, um, uh, with the Jeff. All right. One more thing I wanted to cover tonight. The, uh, one of the greatest proofs, and I don't know if either one of you said this, eight inches per uh, per mile. And the horizon is always flat and at eye level. Uh, you did talk about the vanishing point, Michael. And this is one of the things that fascinated me when I was younger, when I was a photographer and I was flying everywhere. And I would just look down at the earth from like 30,000 feet up and I'd go, how in the world is like the earth, no matter how high you rise, it's just eye level. And that fascinated me. Not only that, but I would, I would try to calculate and like, okay, the earth is spinning. This is before flat earth guys. And I'd be like, the earth is spinning, but I don't see the earth spinning below me. Like what's going on? How is it that we are going with the spin of the earth to like, what's stopping us, right? What, it, I could never make sense of that. So Samuel uh, Robottom, he, he's in the like 1850s and they were just officially uh, coming out with balloons. They had balloons, they had to have had balloons way before this, that's a side point. But they're up there with the balloons and they're going, uh, uh, let's see, how they're going, I guess, up to two miles and up high in his time. And he's doing the math on this. He's like, okay, they're picking out targets that are 127 miles away. And they're, uh, what he's, he's showing there is that, and, and it's eye level, and he's saying that should be 20,000 feet below your summit of your eye level. You should be looking down at that. And that's what's amazing, no matter how high you rise, that the horizon just, it looks like a bowl, like an inverted bowl, and it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. So I find that just uh, really fascinating. 
the you know this isn't one of the best flat earth proofs but for me it's a very personal one the one that really got me when i came over to it was the constellations and i just would look up and going oh my goodness the zodiac has never changed since the beginning we have records of this and it's it's it just it, you know here we are spinning hundreds of thousands of, you know thousand miles on its axis but hundreds of thousands of miles with the sun that's even going and apparently all these stars are like all following us you know mimicking and just going around and around it's just like no way no way so uh, i'm going to end that there uh, a little early on time but we did go over 24 minutes that shows how much we enjoyed this conversation and i know that a lot of us were holding back and going just want to talk more about this and we were all respectful and let us move on i mean there were more things like a couple times chris i wanted to jump in so bad and i'm like nope nope i got it just we just move on to the next thing so with that being said uh chris if you need to put your children to bed or eat dinner you are free to however i'm going um whether you decide to stay or go you know, I'm sure there'll be trouble either way. You know, if I what if I go if I stay there will be no if I go is it if I go there will be trouble if I stay there will be double is that how the lyrics go? Um, so I'm going to be bringing up John Q right now. John, are you with us? Okay, John Q was taking down some questions during the last couple hours, and for either uh, Chris, Michael, or myself, or any of us, and go ahead, John, uh, ask away. Yeah, lots of really great questions. Um, start out with a comment from Rebecca Gold. Uh, she says that uh, this, you know, comment for all three speakers that she really enjoyed this format and listening to you guys bounce ideas and questions off each other. It was a great conversation. The the first question is from Pam, and Pam, this is uh, Pam directs this question to you, Noel. Uh, she says. Is there any other source for scripture other than Gospel of Nicodemus that talks about Messiah taking Adam and the other patriarchs out of Sheol? Yeah, so this is uh, actually, there's actually a genre to this called uh, Edemic literature. And a lot of this Edemic literature will also include the pilot cycle. Uh, but there's... Uh, at least a dozen I could give. And I, I listed off several. I, I took through a case, uh, uh, first and second Adam and Eve, uh, the book of Adam, Revelation of Moshe, uh, the gospel of Bartholomew, and uh, there's a few others. And then I mentioned uh, Nicodemus. I'm trying to think if I, if I mentioned the others. I might have just gone through those. And then I those specifically talk about how he's coming back he fulfill, to fulfill a promise to Adam that he was going to come and uh, restore him into paradise and that it would happen at the time of his, uh, his first advent upon the earth. So I quoted from several of those books. All right, next, next question comes from um, John, a blessed man, 65. He asks, um, what about, what's your take on the, graves being opened when Messiah was resurrected, many of the dead were seen. Who was this directed towards? It was a general question. Well, okay, uh, Michael, if, if you want to answer that, you're free to. No, go for it, no. Well, my opinion on this is, you know, it's 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 not cookie cutter. Um, I don't, as you guys know, I don't have a general 
bullet point, you know, theology on the resurrection of the dead. In fact, I speculate, you know, it, it basically it's not cookie cutter that there might be numerous different examples of the resurrection of the dead. Now I want to emphasize number one, the Yahushua HaMashiach. And I just, I have to say this time and again, so there's no rumors out there. Yahushua HaMashiach, and I 100% believe this, physically rose from the dead. And in fact, that's one of the prophecies that, uh, that Peter says in Acts at Pentecost, he's quoting from Psalms, that his Mashiach would not see decay. That's the whole thing. His body did not see decay. Uh, many people before, everyone pretty much before him saw decay, unless if they died like, you know, a couple of days before or something like that, but his body did not see decay and he physically resurrected. He physically has moved on. Uh, so one of the, the, you know, the big questions is it, the thing is, is that with a lot of this literature and I mind you, this is very early on in the church that they will say the gospel of Nicodemus was worked on over, you know, over so long that, but the thing is, is that very, very early on, you see Christians saying that the resurrection has already happened. In fact, Ignatius in one of his letters said the resurrection has happened. So the resurrection in this case, when they're going from Sheol to paradise, they're not physically being resurrected. They are spiritually being resurrected. They're not coming out of the tombs. They go straight from there to uh, paradise. There's, there's no record of them coming out of the tombs and then going up. Contrarily, we see that at the time of the uh, the death and crucifixion of Yahushua HaMashiach, some people are coming out of the tombs and physically. Uh, and in the course, that's one of the main themes of the Gospel of Nicodemus. It talks about uh, how they, you know, gave their testimony and so on and so forth. But of course, they died again. So, uh, you know, this is one of the questions I ask because myself, and I don't have the answers for you guys. I, uh, I. I, I don't know where the, the physical resurrection and the spiritual resurrection begins and ends. And nor do I believe that Yahushua, uh, that Yahuwah necessarily, unless if I can see an actual promise that everybody has to be physically resurrected. In fact, when you read uh, Daniel and Enoch, Enoch makes it out that there's three classifications in Sheol. There's the righteous, the sinner, and the wicked. It says the righteous will be resurrected. The wicked will be resurrected to be judged. It says the sinners will not be resurrected. Maybe this is a translation issue. I've looked at several copies. It says that it straight out says, I'm sorry, guys. It says that's what Enoch says. It says not everyone will be resurrected. And again, Daniel confirms that. And it says it doesn't say everyone will be resurrected. It said many will be resurrected. It doesn't say everybody. So I just don't think this is a cookie cutter case. I think that there's several things going on. Um, and that excites me, of course. And that's... That's my opinion. Michael, if you want to throw out what you believe and, you know, disagree or whatever, you're free to. Um, I must admit, I haven't done a lot of studying and my understanding is pretty basic um, that the uh, when when uh, at the time of the crucifixion, uh, people did rise up um, and and I definitely believe that because that's what scripture says, but um, I haven't done anything exhaustive in, into it. So my understanding is pretty simple. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Michael. Uh, John? All right. Um, there were several questions on the firmament specifically related to um, the Milky Way. Um, so a blessed man asks, um, is it possible... Is it a possibility that the ferment was shattered at the time of Noah's flood? And that's kind of what we're seeing in the Milky Way, and that looks like a scar. And then piggybacking off of that, both Marianne and um, Lisa OP 
um, asks, um, and this is directed to you, Noel, um, could the Milky Way be the result of heavens rolling back like a scroll, maybe during the Great Tribulation or, you know, when the millennial rain happened? Um, could it be evidence of that that passage in, in Revelation? That's a really good question. Now, I did not, to start out, I did not see John's question. Uh, I saw Mary Ann's question. So I'm really glad you mentioned John's because I'll go on that in a second because I was preparing to talk about uh, the other question. And as you guys know, when I'm talking about the flood, when I'm talking about the millennial kingdom, when I'm talking about, you know, these things, I have tried, I've been very slow with my, uh, with my research, right? And it, it's kind of cost me in some ways because a lot of these other mud flooders, Tartarian people, they're just week after week, just new, just come out with new videos. I haven't done that because the problem is with this historical revisionism, and that's what it is. It's historical revisionism uh, to the point that some people have accused this of being part of a, like a Soviet kind of, um, you know, insider takedown. Um, is that you can just spout off whatever you want within your imagination and just it is so and if, if, if enough people are saying it loud enough then if you don't agree then you're a denier right so I'm always trying to look for historical texts within scripture and other things to convey my opinions on these things and this is actually an incredible question so the reason I would uh, come to the quickly say or i would conclude at present that it is not proof that the heavens roll back like a scroll is because you have a lot of uh, a lot of ancient literature that talks about the milky way it's probably well commented on all over the worlds uh, i may be speaking a little bit out of arrogance there but i have read uh, but plato's one of them now people would say oh they're just made up those texts you know you guys know i don't play that game um, i think that these texts have a lot of historical relevancy and one of the ideas with the Milky Way is that it's the place of the transmigration of souls. And a lot of the coming out of the mystery religions, all the ancients, Plato again, would say that that's where when you when you die, you go up there and then you kind of get reincarnated and come back down again. Um, and so we're seeing it's, it's milky up there because that's where they have this idea that the stars are divine. Right. So they would have this idea that there's all that light there because there's so many uh, spirit souls, angelic beings, so on and so forth in that area. Now. That being said, I didn't hear that from John, and I think that is a fascinating. Again, I'm just using my imagination now, uh, but I could see going back to Noah's flood that there was a, a a ripping or a parting there of the firmament that opened up the windows. Like maybe that's where the windows are mostly stationed, and that's where it came down. That's a fascinating thought. And again, that's I think as much as I can do at the moment, unless if I saw a, a historical text where someone is talking about the flood and saying guys that's the that's where the water came down so but it, it's a fascinating thought michael did you have anything on that yes um as far as the the milky way showing being some type of evidence of of the of the dome opening during the flood as far as the scriptural account goes they actually said the windows of heaven or 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 when you like look and see JB, the windows, um, more like portals opened up in the dome to let this water out. Okay. So it wasn't a destructive thing. The, the destruction came with when the high pressured water 
was released from the dome and then the high pressured water was released from under the ground and they smashed everything and just utterly destroyed it. Um, that's where all the destruction came from. The dome itself was not destroyed. Um, it, it merely opened up. Uh, so, so I don't, I don't see anywhere where there would be some type of um, uh, residual visual evidence of a destruction of some type of destruction of the dome. I I will say this though, I've often wondered what did that sound like when all that water from all that pressure came down, and the pressure water came up, and and that destruction had been a horrific sound. Um, and I do a lot of sound design in my animations. So I, I would love to know what did that sound like? I actually, Michael, what you just stated, I have to back up. I mean, I go with that. Like, you're right. You're absolutely right. That the windows in heaven opened and there's nowhere in scripture that gives a description like the firmament was in, in any way destroyed. Uh, you know, and obviously a lot of young earth creationists, and that's what I grew up with, were taught that uh, the uh, Ken Ham, that was one of his, not Ken Ham, uh, uh, ah, what's the other guy's name from the 90s? It's there. Michael, what's his name? Whatever. Um, whatever. It's bugging me. It's like it gets late at night and I can't remember this stuff. Like I can't remember January 6th, right? Uh, anyways, you know, they would say the firmament was destroyed. Obviously, it wasn't. It wasn't damaged. They just opened the window. So I fully agree with that. And uh, there was another point. Oh, yeah. Like last night here, uh, it was really awesome. It just, it was, we were getting ready to go to bed. We were all tired. We really hit the pillow. And this lightning, like, was coming down outside. And it was, it was automatic. Like when the flash and the, the, you know, when the, when the strike and the sound, boom, and it just, I could look out my window at the water and you could actually see like the tip of the lightning just coming, like just right over your house. Right. And the downpour was so loud as it came down and what you, the way you were describing that, how the utter destruction, right. Cause you just have like, just a, a like a waterfall. I would imagine of water is coming down that would just yeah. immediately pulverize everything in his path. You would yeah. be immediately dead. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That would be incredible. Yeah. And, and and that's why there aren't any um uh ruins from the pre-Noah time because it was utterly destroyed. Okay. So so you know when people say, well, there was a big society and where where's where's the archaeological proof? There isn't any. Okay. It was completely, utterly pulverized. I like that word because that's exactly what happened. Um and it was it was utter destruction. So, yeah. Kent Hovind, thank you. Thank you, guys. Ah, Kent it, Hovind, okay. It's, it's late. All right, John, what's the next question? All right, uh, next question. Um, this one uh, comes from Lisa OP. Um, do any, this is, this is to any of the three speakers, uh, believe in the possibility that the moon map is showing other lands? Um, and to follow up to that, if so, which... Would each land have its own firmament? So was that que that question directed at me or Michael? It was any of the three. I think we all know your stance, Noel, on it. So I yeah. Guess so uh, so I'll ask Michael. Do you know about the moon map? Yes. Okay. I do. Um, the I, I think it's very interesting. Um, um, I. I'd like to know more information on 
the theory of how it was made in the first place, because in order for the moon map to be made, one would have to presuppose that the moon is solid. And, and there's a lot of theories based on that. Is it plasma? Is it solid? Um, is, is it a, re, a, a reflection of a light source or is it the actual light source? Um, there's, there, there's a lot of mind, there's a lot of thoughts going on there. Um, but um, as far as other lands, I don't see anywhere in scripture where it talks about other domes. Um, it talks about one firmament. And so now that said, is there land that we don't know about? It, it makes perfect sense that there is. I mean, of, of, I, I really feel that there is. Why wouldn't it be? Because even scripture says that this earth can't be mapped. Okay, even though they say it can, scripture clearly says it can't be. So therefore, there has to be other land. I don't believe there's other domes because I see no evidence of that in scripture. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah well, the passage Michael was referring to was, I was trying to look it up real quick. It was like in the Job 40 region where Yahuwah, he comes to Job in the, in the, the whirlwind, which had to be I mean, awesome to behold. I mean, if anyone can, if, if anyone has ever been in a tornado and then you have to envision yourself actually standing in front of a tornado, a tornado is right there and it's dark and lightning and thunder and winds. And just so you guys, I mean, I've been, I've been in a, a few tornadoes and there was one, and this is in Florida, right? So this is a Florida tornado. This isn't like a, a, a Kansas or a Missouri or a Texas tornado, okay? And, and I remember it came so quick, and I didn't see the funnel, but it was right over the tree line. Like, it went right down the road, so it was right on the other side of the trees of me. And it came so quick, and I remember watching the water on this lake get picked up and tossed out. I couldn't believe it. It just like there was an alligator in the lake, by the way, too. But it was just picking up and throwing it out. And and uh, the movie Twister had just come out. All right, so I'm a teenager, and I remember the ending of the film where they took their belt and they strapped themselves to a pole. So I actually see a pole in concrete, and I went and just grabbed onto that. And I couldn't even keep my eyes open. I was trying because the wind was cutting it like knives. It was so violent. And so here he is. He's standing in front of of Yahuwah in this tornado, and he says can he says you know, basically pull up your your pants and answer me if you know uh if if you can and uh, pull up your big boy pants he says can you measure the breadth of the earth and the answer is of course no i mean he could have got smart ass and go well in a few hundred years aristosthenes is going to get some friends and a couple sticks out there in egypt and he's going to measure the breadth of the earth and it's like no that the answer is you cannot measure the breadth of the earth. And that's one of the incredible things. Here we are in the 21st century, the year is 2023 uh, officially. And we we have all these maps and we have no idea how big the earth is. Nobody can measure the breadth of the earth. All right, next question. Um, this comes from uh, Crazy Chicken Boy. He wants to know, what do you believe the stars are? And that's not directed at anyone. Michael, that's yours. You answer that first. Um, I I love this subject um, because I, I I must admit I love ridiculing heliocentrism. It's it's a great pastime of mine because it's so it's so amazingly ridiculous. Um, of course, you know what they say about the stars that they're 
billions and I mean, they're, they're trillions of light years. Okay, trillions of light years. One light year has what? 60 million miles in it, I think. I, I, I have to look that up, but that's ridiculous. But we're supposed to be able, uh, with our human eyes, not only see stars trillions of light years away, but we can actually see back in time. So we're all super beings, okay? I can't read a license plate three, three cars down from me, all right? But I'm supposed to be able to see trillions of miles away. So clearly stars are not giant balls of burning gas in the infinite cosmos. Um, that's, that's not it. According to scripture, stars are a sign of the time, sign of the seasons. They also are sentient, okay? So they are um, actual angels. Um, I remember a friend of mine said that he just laid in his backyard with some infrared uh, binoculars and watch the stars move and and suddenly they would change direction and and like a 90 degree direction and move in formation okay so that that says intelligence to me all right um so so i i believe what scripture says stars are a sign of the times are a sign of the seasons but they're also um, actual angels, all right? And and when you look at stars, especially with this Best Buy <laughs> piece of equipment, when you look at stars, they don't, they they look crazy up there. I mean, they literally do look alive. Uh, so, so it actually, what scripture, how scripture describes stars actually does hold up the scrutiny. Uh, just to piggyback off what Michael said, I had this experience probably seven years ago now, and I'm walking down the street, and I, you know I'm just praying and so on and so forth, and I look up and I see the stars, and for whatever reason I I had that experience like I looked up and I I, I thought they moved, and I'm like well this is weird, you know, and I'm a flat earthist by this point, but I'm like so I I keep looking up, and. I start seeing the st stars do this, like they stop. And then this one goes and stops. And then, and then it, it felt like I was seeing, I started perceiving, like I felt like I saw like a battle going on up there or something. Cause then the stars were circling like this, they would stop and, and they would like do this. And I'm watching this for like 15 minutes and I'm looking around going, does anybody else see this? You know, nobody, you know, nobody's looking up. Right. And that was just, I've never seen anything like that since, but it reminded me of that uh, passage in, uh, it's in Judges. And it's one of those blink if you miss, uh, blink and you'll miss it passages. I, I talked about this last week when we went over the, the sun and the moon standing still. And they talked about how the stars were fighting for Yasharel up in the heavens for the fate of Yasharel. And so I, I'm looking at this going, what if they're fighting for some, something that's happening on the earth, right? It's the, whatever is going on down here, they're up there fighting for it. And uh, so just wanted to go off that. John, what's your next question? All right, next question. Uh, this comes from Lisa OP. It was to Chris and Michael. Mike, uh, Chris had to, had to step away. So we'll, we'll go with, uh, just, I guess, directed right at you, Michael. What do you think of of the theory of the millennial reign already happening. Uh-oh. 
<laughs> so you can lay it on. You can lay it on, Michael. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, the Millennial Reign is a very conspicuous event. Um, based on what I have read in Scripture, it's it's <laughs> to call it conspicuous is an understatement. It's world changing. Everyone's going to know it. Um, there is no, there is no room for interpretation. There is no room for, um, I believe this and I believe that. It's simply going to happen, and and everyone will simply accept it. Okay. Um, that said, because of the nature of that event, I have not seen that. Um, I haven't seen it. So therefore, I don't believe it has occurred because it's not going to happen in secret. Just like the Messiah, when he comes back, this is not going to be secret. It's not going, it's not only going to be known worldwide. And I've heard some people say, well, yeah, y'all, we're all going to see it because we have iPads, we have cell phones. No, 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 no. You're going to see it because the dome will open up. He's going to come out. With all those angels, it's going to be pretty obvious. And when he does come back, it's going to be the greatest bloodbath in the history of mankind. So, so all of those eschatological events are going to be very noticeable. Okay, so there's no room for if it happened now or if it if if it does, you're going to know it. And the only reason you won't see it is because you'll be dead. So, so that's my point. I have not seen anything that gigantic and grand and horrific. So, so my view is it hasn't happened yet. All right. Thank you for answering that. All right. Yeah. Next question. Um, comes from Mary Ann S. She wants to know, um, and this is uh, not directed at anyone specifically, uh, but uh, uh, Michael, this might be right up your alley. On the subject of fighting against evil, what are some examples of open doors we could have in our lives that make us spiritually susceptible to the enemy? Um, spiritual suscept spiritually susceptible. I would say beware of the day-to-day -day, um, attacks that Satan can put on us through entertainment, um, through old sins that constantly try to reassert themselves, um, listening to the wrong people, talking to people who, are, who have a tendency to pull you away from your relationship with Yah, your walk with him your determination to obey him and have that tight relationship with him. Um, those day-to-day -day, uh, presumptuous sins that knock us off of our path with him. Um, those are the most dangerous because they're the most insidious. Yes, there's the big ones. There's lust and there's, you know, uh, um, theft and there's covetousness. Yes, I'm tired. Um, yes, there are those as well. And those are the big ones, but it's the little ones that nag at you constantly day in, day out that get you, um, 
that that knock you off your walk. And that's really what Satan wants. He wants you, he wants to put, he wants to put enmity, he wants to put space in between you and your relationship with the Messiah. Because if he can do that, he can break you. And that's the most dangerous thing, those day-to-day um, transgressions. Thank you, uh, Michael, John, any other questions? I want to uh, you know, keep track of the time. We're coming up on the three-hour mark. And Mike, Michael, you've been great. I, I am thinking Chris uh, dodged out because he knew the Millennial uh, Kingdom question was coming. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he he had to put his 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 kids to bed. So, uh, but no, uh, I appreciate you answering that, Michael, and um, with just honesty and and uh, knowing that uh, the crowd could be hostile to your response either way. But uh, I do appreciate that, John. Do we have any other? Uh... We have just two more, and they're okay. they're related. So. Um... Michael thirteen eighty wants to know um, how can Torah observant believers in Yeshua be more of a light to the nations than what we are currently doing. And then to follow to follow on with that, this is a question that I have. Do we, as believers in Yahushua, his ecclesia, do we win down here? Or do things get worse and worse until he finally returns to a defeated church? In other words, are we just here polishing brass on a sinking ship? To the first questions, beware of being dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge and and the um and being more making piety more important than actually being a light to this world um observing torah is a wonderful way to show the world the beautiful discipline and truth that we can live in this world. And what I've noticed is that sometimes that pursuit um, pushes everything else to a back seat. Uh, and so I would say, watch that. Um, the second part, uh, let me make sure I'm, I'm remembering that correctly, um, that, oh, okay how how we should what we should be doing um the ultimately we win which is pretty cool okay at the end of the day we win and we win big all right um can we win battles now um are we are are we fighting to control this world and to dominate this world uh no we are not um, that is up to the Messiah. At the end of the day, he wins the battle and gives the victory to us, all right? But can we win small battles? Because this is a war after all. This isn't just one battle. And within the war, you win smaller skirmishes, smaller battles. And can those, can there be small battles that are won? Absolutely, absolutely, okay? Um, scripture is clear on that, and that's also a faith builder. When we can help someone see the truth, when we can make evil fear us, 
okay, because of who and what we are in Christ. Um, so, so yes, those small battles can be won. And when I say small, I'm talking significant. Any battle won with with the Messiah through His obedience and power is significant. Okay, and they're leading more toward people coming to Him, so so that they can join join the ranks. All right, but yes, we can. We're not supposed to just sit here twiddling our thumbs and just waiting. No, we're supposed to be teaching and proselytizing yes absolutely proselytizing and fighting until the messiah comes back all right well thank you michael and i'll thank chris too if he sees this later i'll i'll thank him in a text message afterwards and mm. thank you guys for coming on and uh, i i had fun and i hope you guys did too this this felt really great because i i really enjoyed when you came on a couple months ago and I, probably maybe it's three months ago. I don't know how long ago it was now. And uh, this this was great to get Michael and Chris. And um, and I, I should have said this at the beginning that Chris has. I didn't really want to put him on the spot, but he means a <laughs> lot. He means a lot to me because when just about when I came over to the Torah, a lot of people, a lot of ministry leaders, they saw a lot of value in me because I was a very good writer, very gifted writer. And when I went down the anti-Paul path um, again, and I, I, I said in the in the the my my response that uh, I don't I'm 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 glad that I I put him into question and tossed him out when I did. I regret making it public because in 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 I was able to by tossing him out and starting from scratch. I like I was able to look at all the different pieces and start assembling him again. And I go, he makes sense this time. Like he was, he was constru constructed or construed in a way that didn't make sense to me. And I was able to look at all the different pieces in the investigation. Go, okay, I get this now. I fight because I had to build it. I had to construct it. But when that happened, uh, ministry leaders just tossed me out. I was done for. I mean, uh, I, I I was basically put on a on a blacklist. Like, and mm. it actually it actually is is real. There's an actual blacklist that I was put on. Like where people are are signing their names. I will not associate with Noel Hadley. He's done. Chris is the one guy who who he would take my calls. He, you know, he, he we would just have long conversations. He he stuck it with me, even through some you know some dark moments where you know. And then the whole and then when then the whole then I, so I was anti Paul. And then the whole Millennial Kingdom thing came up, and he's like, oh man, here we go again with Noel. And all these people are like, you need to shut Noel up about this. And, <laughs> and Chris is like, you know what? No, we can we can still be friends. We can talk through this and so i i was really excited i'm glad both of you came on uh but this was this is the first time this is the second time michael's come on this is the first time chris has come on and um and so i i just want to thank chris for uh the last few years of sticking by my side and not being ashamed to uh to call me his friend uh even though so many of our phone conversations were private they weren't public and so on and so forth and we'll have to do this again you know i i want to bring on uh, in the fellowship, of the flat earth, the idea is that I'm going to bring on different ministry leaders and kind of reach out to different communities and bring them on and we can have different answers and that's okay. It's not, you know, it's not a debate as you guys saw. Uh, we mostly agreed on everything, but there, there were some things where, you know, I, I was kind of like left field to what, you know, uh, Chris and Michael were saying and that's okay. So um, with that, we're going to close for the night. So Shabbat Shalom for the final time. Anything you want to say, final words, Michael? 
No, I, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed myself. Um, I would sleep well tonight, um, but uh, it's, it, it was great. And thank you so much for inviting me.